close. Oh, <laughs> All right, man. check one, mic one, check. Check, check two. Look at that. We got to do four. Let's speed it up. Oh, check, check. <laughs> I'm number, number three. Hurry up, fellas. Here I am. Every Here minute the, the air conditioning the is off is another minute we're going to die. Yeah. We're in the we have limited oxygen the supply, just like Matt Damon. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it yes uh, check four, check four. Yeah, we've got to grow plants out of our own shit. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily for you, I brought bags. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> everybody and welcome to episode 291 i'm back from down under i know we're gonna we're coming back with a bang big bang we've got a lot of movies to talk about a lot of news to give mm-hmm. you guys and it's we're gonna be talking about movies like the martian sicario pan macbeth and a lot of cool horror movies and we've got two very special guests today yes uh i want to thank everybody real quick uh, before we meet our guests that who came out to the shows in adelaide uh various venues there the rhino room and a couple other spots and thank craig egan at uh, adelaide comedy and all the comics on there it was a blast it was my second time down doing shows in adelaide it was awesome and then in Melbourne, um, uh, people at uh, Omni Radio showing me around about uh, maybe there's going to be a podcast festival down there. That would be great. Uh, would we be invited? No. <laughs> um, I'm starting my own. It's going to be just me uh, talking about surfing and shark hunting with crazy Australians. That's all it's going to be. So It'll have an audience. Yep. Just, <laughs> just letting you know, I'm icing you out. Yeah. Those other idiots over at LA Podfest. No, it would be... Uh, LA Podfest down under, so I think it's uh, we're we're putting that in the works. It might be, it's not, it, it might twenty sixteen, maybe twenty seventeen. There's a lot of kangaroos we have to jump through. Well, there's, a, <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a koala minefield. Yeah, we, yeah, get we have to really take care of it. There's a lot of shrimps on Barbies <laughs> yeah, we have to avoid. Sure, yeah, there's a lot of cliches. <laughs> yeah, and stereotypes yes, we got to yes. get through. <laughs> we we've got to bring a lot of Energizer batteries. <laughs> <laughs> wow, we're gonna import the '80s down. Is what we're yes. gonna do. So, any of you Australians under the age of thirty, you don't know what these references are. And good for you. Good for you. Yeah. Um, but uh, Yahoo series. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it was really cool. And and uh, there was a, in Melbourne, there was a couple of fans, uh, married couple Julie and Bryce, who took me to see um, the movie Macbeth, which we'll talk about. And their first date, they went to a movie. You want to guess what it was? Two Australians went to a movie, first movie they ever saw together. Mad Max? <laughs> Close. <laughs> Crocodile Dundee? Nice. That was the first thing. <laughs> like, oh, I was like, that's the most adorable thing I've ever heard. They were like, it's, they were like embarrassed, like, it's so Australian. I'm like, yeah, but that was great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we did a CFN meetup, and uh, me and two other guys, they met, met us, met me, and we went and saw Sicario, which was cool. So mm-hmm. it, was, it was an awesome experience. And of course, I had dinner with CJ Johnson and Dean Haggard. I know, I saw the picture. I was like, yeah. uh, I was like, oh, I wish I was there. This and I paid like so for dinner. Fun. You're going to see that bill. Yeah, <laughs> I already did. Okay, you're yeah. like, oh, those assholes. <laughs> uh, we can't pay him to write, so we might as well buy him some vegan food. Yeah, so did you buy him a bunch of Vegemite? Yeah, <laughs> it was all Vegemite <laughs> all the time. Uh, so that was cool. So it was it was it was a great trip. 
It was a great trip as well. Cool. Always. And did somebody tell you you're eating Vegemite wrong? Usually that yeah, happens every time true. we no, go to Australia. Eat, go, it tastes horrible. No, you're, you're, you're not eating it. You're not right you're eating it incorrectly. Yeah. No, it's it's, it's bad. Yeah. Anytime you eat it, it's <laughs> Victoria bad. Bitter? Yeah. Should I, yeah. should I not be putting it in my mouth? Yeah, is that how the, I'm eating it that's incorrectly? That's the way you're eating it. You should be using it as more of as a sealant <laughs> for leaks and stuff like that, or like a shoe that's got a hole. It's good for stuff like that. I've um, noticed that whenever I ever make any reference to Australian culture to an Australian, they tell me that I made the wrong reference. So it's, uh, but they'll always go over and explain. It'll be, uh, it, oh, that whole Foster's thing. We don't drink Foster's. Right. We drink Victoria Bitters. And then it's like, oh, hey, you guys drink Victoria Bitter. Don't, no, we don't drink Victoria Bitter. And there's something else. Yeah. That it's just. So they don't eat at Outback Steakhouse? I, <laughs> they I think they're just in denial about their own culture. Yeah. <laughs> they just watch Crocodile Dundee on a loop and yeah. drink Foster's. And Well, it's funny, too, because like, I was there in Adelaide um, during the Australian Reels Football Grand Final which the whole country goes nuts for, except for the North, which they're more into rugby and they don't give a shit about Aussie football. So it was just like, mm, nice. th- that's a whole, uh, and the rugby final, I think was at the same time. I didn't realize that there's like up in the North, like Sydney and Brisbane, Sydney is sort of split between. I was going to say, is Sydney really considered North? Well, Australian rules football is huge in Melbourne because mm-hmm. that's in the state of Victoria. And the original league was the VFL, I believe the Victoria football league. So I, that was explained to me like, uh, Melbourne and and Adelaide, everything in South Australia um, is all crazy, what they call mm-hmm. footy. Mm-hmm. And then Sydney is sort of split. It's half rugby town and half footy town. And then everything north of there, like Brisbane on up, everything up in Queensland is all rugby and they don't give a shit about Aussie football. All right, then. Very knowledgeable trip, guys. <laughs> uh, but everything. let's introduce our guests. Yeah. Let's definitely introduce oh, our guests. Wow. Now, one guest has been here before, uh, Frank Woodward, filmmaker, podcaster, and we uh, carry his wares in the store. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, my, my, my wares, my very <laughs> tired wares. Yeah. <laughs> So we have Men in Suits, which is uh, going out on DVD still. We only have two left. And Frank, uh, are you going to be making more Men in Suits DVDs? Well, we have yet to decide. These mm-hmm. may be rarity items. You know, you may want to snag them now while you still can. Uh, or maybe we should up the price. Yeah, or we buy them ourselves and put them on eBay. Yeah. <laughs> there is that, too. I think, I think yeah. right now is the yeah, time we, also to get our... We uh, should be cutting into our own company. That's yeah. a great idea. <laughs> we got to undercut ourselves more, Chris. <laughs> if you still got some Lovecrafts, you might want to do that because when the Blu-ray comes out, oh my, there's like guys selling them at conventions for like 75 bucks a copy. Really? really? Yeah, I saw a guy at Monster Palooza and he had two... I said, hey, you get the last two copies. And they're like 75 bucks. I said, we're coming out with them on Blu-ray in about a month. He goes, I better sell them now. <laughs> I said, yes. Yes, you should. <laughs> And what's the full title for Lovecraft? A Fear of the Unknown. Yeah, Love, right? Lovecraft: Fear of the Unknown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that one's a. It's a. Di- you can find it on digital download, like through Snag Films right now, but or through us, or through you guys. Yes, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I'm sending business away. <laughs> Uh, but yes, you guys can get it right here. And also, uh, we're uh, going to do Men in Suits I digital think, download. Yeah, I think Men in Suits may be making, making its way over to Comedy Film Nerds here. Excellent. Ooh, digital mm-hmm. download. Digital nice. download. People, that, that DVD has really been selling, too. People love that movie. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. I'm mm-hmm. really yeah. glad to hear that. Yeah, all the bootlegs I made are just flying, <laughs> flying off the shelves. Are you doing it with a handheld like, cam in your own apartment? I do it with the one you gave me that was just a DVD-R. Oh, perfect. Yes. And it, so there's no sound mix? No sound oh, mix great. at all. And there's people standing up in your living room? Yeah. 
Yeah, staying up with <laughs> his cat, mainly. That is the voice of our second guest, who has never been on the show before. This is yes. Jack Bennett and right. uh, from the Blood and Guts show on Nerdist. That's right. The uh, It used to be Blood and Guts. Now it's Bloodworks. Bloodworks. And okay. our, we've got new episodes in production Now, what's right the story now? behind the uh, title change? Uh, it actually <laughs> has a lot to do with YouTube. Yeah. And so <laughs> it's, some, it's something to be said for... Um, uh, the fact that they they like the show so much over at Nerdist and they and they've been so such champions of this show that um, basically Nerdist Channel was a exclusive YouTube partnership and they said we want to keep making this show even though we're not doing stuff strictly for YouTube anymore and it just became we have to we have to come up with a new show so basically we took the concept of Scott as our host Scott Ian mm-hmm. uh, going from to, Anthrax right the guitarist of anthrax founding mm-hmm. member of anthrax and all-around great guy yeah i've met him before he's a cool guy he's yeah. good friends with brian posain and i've met him at Absolutely. like parties and stuff he's a really cool he's a really cool dude yeah and he's a he's a big comedy nerd and, yeah you know he he definitely is friends with a lot of comedians and and he's a big uh just movie and comic book guy and just mm-hmm. you know he's just he's a fan he's sort of our audience surrogate because he gets to go into these shops. He gets to go meet Rick Baker, and he gets to go oh, meet the guys at Spectral Motion and cool. talk to Greg Nicotero at K&B and, and do all this mm. stuff. And he's basically the bridge between, like, he has the access, because he's Scott, and then he also has that fan wonderment. So it's not like uh, if we had a makeup artist who was hosting the show who knows everything already and wouldn't ask the kind of questions the audience would ask. So we took this concept of having Scott talk to makeup artists, and we said, well, let's come up with a completely new show in which Scott talks to makeup artists, and we'll have it have a different title. It's a totally different show, is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) There's no way you can say it's the same show. (laughs) So so Blood and Guts with Scott Ian became Scott Ian's Bloodworks, Mm -hmm. and we did uh, some episodes this Last year, and and that was he was a zombie on Walking Dead. That right? was the most recent episode. Yeah. We actually got Scott in the show in The Walking Dead. Oh, that's awesome! As a walker, he you can see him in episode eight, I think. He's under a pile of garbage and rolled up carpets, and he grabs Grimes by the ankle, and Grimes is about to take him out with a steel pole, and Carl and Carl goes, uh, "Dad, let me do it." He's like, "All right," and so then. Carl takes out Scott with a steel pole. Uh, and I'm it was to having children so I can tell him how to kill them. Yeah, <laughs> that's why you raise kids. So you yeah. teach them how to kill a zombie yeah. with a pole. It was just, what, are you going to not teach him that? Exactly. But it was such <laughs> that's a, bad parenting. I'll yeah, tell you that Jesus. right now. <laughs> it was such an awesome experience that ended with him getting killed by Carl. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, no it, was, it was great. And uh, Chandler Riggs, by the way, is a really cool kid. You He's know? on his way mm-hmm. to being the next Will Wheaton. I, Probably, yeah. Yeah. Now, the um, the concept of the of one of the shows, not both, is sure. that uh, you see behind the scenes at how horror makeups are created, makeup yeah. effects are created. Right. Absolutely. The way mm-hmm. we see it, the practical effects. Completely artists, different shows again. Completely different shows. <laughs> so they both have blood on the title. Right. Jack is involved with both, but they're both different. They they told me that <laughs> um, Scott Ian. Well, they t- they told me that uh, you can use blood in the title or you can use guts in the title. We can't use blood and oh. guts in the title of the new show. Yeah. And I said, well, blood works, and that's it. You struck gold, kid. Stop digging. Does so. it, is, it, is that true? <laughs> no, actually. Is, is it, does oh, the maybe. guts? No, no. Say yes. Just say yes. yes. Yeah, that's totally. That's totally so true. I'm confused. So the guts estate has a yes. uh, owns has a proprietary right. Over They're like the Karloffs. 
You can't use guts without going through the It's funny too because I was talking to Joe Lynch about uh about the show and like really trying to sell him on it and and he knows Scott and trying to get him into it and he was like, What's it called? And I said, It's called Blood and Guts and he goes, Oh yeah. And it turns out that was the original title for Holliston. Ah, so there were scripts oh. that circulated with Blood and Guts on the title. And they I think to their benefit changed the name. And they've done a, a really great show. Is, is Joe seems is Joe angry about a lot of stuff? No. Okay, he's, he's a great dude. I, I, I'm I, sure he's angry about a lot of stuff because as a human being I understand. Every time I've met him he seemed angry and I I, I know he's a nice guy, but I I just he's angry. Maybe well, got him on a bad day. Probably got him on a bad day. You catch me on the wrong day. I'm going to be pissed off about yeah. everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's from New York. Especially you know? the words blood and guts. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. <laughs> God damn it. Those words make it. <laughs> yeah. So let's, uh, let's talk about some movies. Let's, let's talk about that. The Martian. And we will be doing a spoiler up on yes. this later. Yes, yes. Uh, but oh, for no spoilers now? No, okay. <laughs> totally fine. We can take it again. <laughs> so The Martian. Now, I got to see this film, and um, it's a really interesting story with this movie too like it was a book it was a, a self-published book yeah right, at right. first and then it got picked up and then you know obviously the movie rights were acquired and somebody said we need to see matt damon stranded again on a foreign uh, on a uh, on a pl- another planet after interstellar <laughs> yes yeah. so and it was like he did such a good job it's like that was his audition for oh, this yeah. movie because <laughs> well, you wanted to know the, the origin yeah. story and I, I have to say, I, I watched this movie and i really liked it i really liked this film um i, I thought it really did a nice job of showing like a different voice and a different perspective of like these, it's almost like a genre now. It's like astronauts being stuck in space <laughs> in the near future. Right. Um, and it, it hit some of the same uh, beats that um, Gravity did, but I didn't mind. I mean, I really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was really interesting and I, I liked the way that it didn't, and this is not a spoiler, is that it's not the entire movie is not Matt Damon stranded alone talking to like a volleyball mm. it was really about how nasa would actually try to rescue him right. yeah and also about how he would have to survive through um through all this extra time that he would definitely be there but i loved also the way they put in like the the history of the actual space exploration mm-hmm. like uh it was uh, this is by far hard science fiction yeah. it's like near future based on specific scientific concepts and facts and extrapolate it into what might actually happen. Yeah, what we what we or what scientists know of Mars based on rovers and probes and yeah, and mm-hmm. satellite or uh, you know telescopes or whatever. It's right. just sort of like this is the best guess. Mm-hmm. Well, and they did and they did mostly very well. I mean, from what I understand, I mean the the scientists have come in. They said, ah, oh, well, this would have been different, and yeah, everybody would be dying of cancer. But if it was reality, but the film is so pro science. I mean, it's really like a NASA JPL recruiting film. I mean, everybody in there is so cool. Uh, wasn't it Danny Glover uh, is the kid who comes up with the uh, – is that the actor's name? Uh, there was a, is there a character in there that From Lethal Weapon? No, yeah. I'm, saying, I'm sorry. Not, they're not Danny. They're not, I'm getting not too Danny. old for this shit <laughs> as he's planning. Wait, wait. Spoiler oh alert. They Danny should, Glover's in the film. Yeah. <laughs> they should remake Lethal Weapon with Donald Glover. Donald yes. Glover is what yeah. I'm trying to say. On Mars. Yeah, on yeah. Mars, yes. <laughs> I'm getting yeah, no, too old for this Mars shit. This, <laughs> but no, Donald Glover is the one who... The yeah, the dog, he has a great moment in the film, without spoiling it, where, where he is, his knowledge of math 
is very right. very crucial. Mm-hmm. And I think that's great to see films that are that depict science as cool and fun to yes. be involved with. And I will say, all of the um, scientists, you kind of they had believable looks in the casting. Yeah. However, all of the astronauts. Far too beautiful. <laughs> yes, sir, <laughs> so that, I'm like, oh my gosh, everyone is really, really hot. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking more Jessica Chastain. And also, when they opened up that pod in the third act and Matthew McConaughey was inside it, and the yes. whole thing <laughs> yeah. and was, and just kept going. Spoiler <laughs> alert, time wormhole. Yeah. Um, I, I'll say this because somebody on. First of all, I saw The Martian at the Capri Theater, which is a theater that was built in 1941 in Adelaide, Australia. Mm-hmm. Old, beautiful theater. So I sat in a balcony, which I just love old theaters. Um, we've talked about this, Chris. I don't even know if we've talked about it on the air, but we, I'm hoping this company gets big enough that we can go buy old theaters and fix them up because there's just a charm about them. So that was a cool experience for me. So in a balcony, I'm watching it at eye level. Um, so I really like the movie as well. And um, somebody on Twitter said... That they that they didn't like it when they, these lines like I'm gonna science the shit out of this and Neil Armstrong eat your heart out. <laughs> They're like that. You know, scientists wouldn't talk that way. You're probably right. If they did dialogue of actual scientists, this would be the most goddamn boring thing. They would just be yeah. guys talking about equations and. So you had to add... There's a bit of suspension of disbelief you yeah. have to do uh, when the dialogue... And, and I think dialogue, it does that thing, sure. it, it does mm. that thing, Frank, you're talking about. In order to mm. make it cool and a recruiting thing for JPL, you got to make it seem... Because there is just the grunt work of science, which oh, yeah. is boring, unless you're a scientist. So to make it appealing to, to non-scientists, you had to put this... And, and show the human side of it. Except as a film fan, I always like it when they commit to the the verisimilitude of these are real MIT guys. So when it's a movie like Primer or when it's a or even 2001, they're very that sort of sure. they come off as very convincing with that functional astronaut speech. And I think they did well enough with Martian in doing that and they they straddled both spheres. Very I think well, they did a good job yeah. of of mm-hmm. doing both those things. Um, gotcha. I'll say this Ridley Scott is out of the doghouse for me. <laughs> Yes. It only took one film? It, it, one very good movie. Jack, you No one need. needed it more than him. Yeah, no one needed it more than Ridley Scott, for sure. Now, now he'll screw it up with Prometheus 2. Oh, they're making a... No, 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 no. no. It's, it's not Prometheus 2. It's Alien, colon, Paradise. Yeah. Lost. Yeah, okay. There goes my colon. Okay. You know what would make me want to there see it more if it just was Alien, colon, Paradise? Okay. You know, that's <laughs> sure. Or how about hey, Alien? What would that movie be about? Or how about yeah. Alien colon Lost and Damon, Damon Lindelof was still writing it? How about yeah. that? Oh. Or how right? about Alien Spring Break? Or yeah. Alien Goes to College? Something. Just, yeah. something. I, I'm, yeah. seeing, uh, I'm seeing the xenomorph as Rodney Dangerfield all of a sudden. <laughs> you know, our, our marketing. For the triple Lindy. <laughs> <laughs> so I understand that, that, now Jack, you said before the show that Ridley Scott has used up because of his goodwill, Exodus but, and the Counselor and Prometheus. Oh, and- but it's not even no. It's it's. <laughs> so you must have been out. You must have been off of M Night after the Village. You know, I I was <laughs> off of M Night after uh, after Signs. Honestly. Yeah, Signs was but, the one that did it for me too. But All you, right, but but I actually like Signs. I like it. But it's the last one I remember liking of, of his movies. Right. And it's it's when you start to see the mechanics of a filmmaker and you start to see what they're bringing to it. It 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 becomes. It's like when you see an actor 
And you're like, oh, hey, he's really good. And then you realize he's giving the same performance in every film. And you're like, ah, you know, I thought this guy, I thought this guy was going to be one of the great actors, but it turns out he's playing the exact same beats again and again and right. again. And and I don't mean in sort of like a Clint Eastwood way, where the, right. it's just sort of a character that this guy slips into. It's you start to see the tricks, and you don't ever want to see that in a magic trick. You don't want to see right. the strings, and you don't mm-hmm. want to. Right. And to me, that's that's what films are. It's just an extended magic trick. Well, I, I think Ridley Scott did a really good job with this film. The only Ridley Scott um, aspect that I wish he wouldn't have brought to this film was the length. Like if oh, you remember Gravity, that? ninety minutes, unbelievably tight. You yeah. were you were in and out, and you were like there was no fat on that film. Uh, close to two and a half hours for The Martian. I yeah, could have done with a little. I mean, but I could have done with a little less. You could have cut fifteen minutes. Out. Yeah. I'm sure they could find a place to do it if they needed to. But I mean, I didn't mind it so much. I mean, but we're also like we're, we're going by the recent space movies. We've had Gravity, Interstellar, Martian. Each one be, getting progressively better than the one previous to it, and each one requiring a little bit more time. Time. <laughs> Exactly. Well, they, there's, you have to explain things to the audience. Well, I, now, Interstellar, I think, justified a longer runtime because there was a lot of things going on. I think, you know, we got a, um, astronauts stranded on Mars. Right. Okay. I yeah. don't know if that needs to be two and a half hours. No, no. They could have. They definitely could have. Uh, and in Interstellar, you needed those scenes where John Lithgow said, you know, the thing about you, Coop, is you've always been the kind of guy who wants to go to space. But instead, you're on Earth, and then he points at the sky, and then points at a cornfield, and turns to the audience and gives a big thumbs up. Like those kinds of scenes <laughs> need wait, wait, the Jack, space. You didn't like Interstellar? Oh, I really liked Interstellar, but that that is the kind of dialogue that's in Interstellar. Let's let's not mince words. Well, you know, they had to science the shit out of it. Right. <laughs> they had to science the shit out of it. I will say this too: the 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 thing that I did like about. Uh, the Martian is the dilemma of you got to just solve this problem and yeah. solve this problem. And you've got people on the ground solving this problem and he and Matt Damon trying to solve this problem. And I really like that. And I like Jeff Daniels character of look, Nassau is beholden to politics and politicians and governmental budgets and, and yeah, funding and funding. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. so you can sit there and yell and scream all you want. I just loved, I loved his, his, his pragmatic, he wasn't evil or heartless. He was just like, yeah, bang your fists all you want. If this is what's going to happen, like I'm trying yeah. to make sure we have funding for f- 10 years from now. Right. So, and it was great. And Kristen Wiggs, you know, like we need a marketing person and all, everybody, I mean, it was just like, it was, it was really intriguing because I'm sure all that stuff, those conversations are, are, are had. And I like, um, the thing like that I didn't like about, let's say, Apollo 13 was they were arguing with each other up there. Mm-hmm. And the actual astronauts were like, yeah, we wanted to. There was no fucking time. Sure. Like we had, it was just like, you got to do this. You got to do that. You got to do this. Okay, you fucked that up. Fine. Now we got to fix this. You got to fix this. You got to fix that. There's no time for that. Like, meh, meh, meh. And so that's what I want to see more of. One of my favorite movies is still The Right Stuff. And I, that's a movie that I revisit a lot. And I'm sure a lot of it's bullshit. Like I'm sure that a lot of it is just straight up fiction. But there's something to be said for when you watch a movie and you can say, well, that, that seems like what the real guys would have gone through. That seems like what they would have been acting like and thinking like. I, I think it might be closer than we than you might think because sure. it's based on that book. And that book was like a lot of those guys telling their inside mm. stories and how they were these sort of cowboy 
fighter pilots, yeah. you know, and and all that stuff. And so and they were pretty much competing with each other. Oh yeah, you know, right. to get to get onto yeah. the uh, the spacecrafts. And yeah. I have no problem believing Buzz Aldrin would say fuck. <laughs> not at all. No, I have no problem. With, Buzz Aldrin is the guy that punched a dude out. I, Absolutely. I have a I have a bigger time trying to um, accept that he talked to Optimus Prime. <laughs> yeah. That I have a I have a harder time believing that. Yeah. No, I, oh, I now I remember my point. But the thing about the right stuff is what they say right in there. They say no bucks, no Buck Rogers. They're like it's an ongoing thing of people forget the reality. Oh, people going to space is wonderful for morale. Right. And costs a billion dollars. Right. So I, I I always like it when characters are pragmatic, but every time a character is pragmatic in a modern movie, they people talk about them like they're the villain. Right. And they shouldn't be because it's 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 because it's a legitimate argument to go, we're spending a billion dollars to send one guy in space. What a billion dollars could fix all these schools and blah 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 and poverty yeah. and it's so it's a legitimate it's a legitimate argument. But it's space. A, yeah, but space is awesome. Space is fucking awesome. Like space is awesome. I'm all for it. I, I wish we should. We should. Are you going to defend against an alien invasion if you don't have any spaceships? Hell, with that Absolutely. we got asteroids yeah. coming at us every day. And yeah. plus, there's no more water on Earth. So thank God and they found is, some on they Mars. Found some water on Mars. <laughs> so we white people can get to it first. Now, yeah. <laughs> but let me, let me <laughs> hear hear Trump sixteen. Trump sixteen. <laughs> but let me ask all you guys before we leave the Martian behind. What is it that is in the Martian that is not in these other Ridley Scott movies. Like, I know I'm not the only person here who Ridley Scott sort of fell you're, out you're of favor with. You're yeah. done, well, It's not that I'm done. It's just that, uh, like, for example, Prometheus is one of the best-looking, most incredibly crafted bad movies I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's and, a fantastic way to write that, oh, to say it's that. It's so gorgeous. Like, I was watching it. Oh, it's it, beautiful. Yeah. From frame one. And and I saw it. I also saw it in 3D and and uh, a dark 3D movie that looked great. Uh-huh. And um, just watching it back to back with Alien, it's like wow. You one know of what? These I'll tell you. So good. I'll tell you exactly what it doesn't have that the other movies have: a somber tone. Mm-hmm. That's true. It's very very mm-hmm. upbeat. It's very uh, um, uh, optimistic. And here's what um, The Martian doesn't have that Prometheus had. Uh, Moronic astronauts. Yes. <laughs> Morons. No training, just jackasses taking their helmets off, yep. all arguing with each like they went it was clear watching the Martian. Oh yes, these were this is what you would send in outer space. A right. team of geniuses <laughs> who all have been training for fucking years, not to mention all their advanced degrees. And know what outer space is. And know what outer space is and yeah. are just like, hey, what's this green stuff? Like, <laughs> fucking... Oh, look, it's an alien oh, snake. God. I'm going to pet it. Damn yeah. it. All the deleted scenes in Prometheus are just, why'd you do that? And a guy picks up a script and just points at it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I think that the other difference though, and, well, and again, Ridley Scott's out of the doghouse for me. I'll watch the next film, but I think Ridley Scott is done. I mean, he gave up, he now takes jobs and he directs. There's the famous story about Robert De Niro around about the time he did Meet the Parents or something like that, where he's like, you know, now I'm just taking jobs for the payday. I'm not really going to put that much effort into it. I'm not here trying to reinvent things or reinvent myself. I'm doing it for the payday. And as a result, most of De Niro's films since then are like that. I think Scott's the same way. I think he and, and the reason why we got a good one is he finally got a good script to work with. Right. That, that could be very well true because I've heard that, like, I've heard Al Pacino say, he said that in the 90s when he kind of made that switch of, like, all oh, right. Yeah. Downey Jr. just said it. Like, a lot of them have said that they're just, like, because um, 
Pacino put it something like, he goes, directors now, granted, now he came up in the 70s where directors, you know, came from the theater, you know? Um, And so he's like, the directors now are just like, they're animal trainers. They don't, (laughs) you know, they just jump and do this and they just want you to hit your mark and say this line and make sure the marketing team has a catchphrase for the poster, you know? it's more like middle managers than anything. Yeah, yeah, because the studio was this giant corporate machine. It's not, it's not fueled by, by, by artists. So it was, it was like, oh, wow. I, if that's the, and I don't deny, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame Ridley Scott if he just went, I'm not fighting the studio in this crap anymore. They want yeah. me to, no, he's, he's had a lot, he's a great career. Yeah. I mean, he's still getting hired and, yeah. and the guy's like, like in the seventies almost. Yeah, I did the same he thing. He's 90 years old. He's yeah. 90 years old. He's 114. <laughs> with alien God. technology, yeah. <laughs> he is now 70. Okay. It's definitely he true. He sits in H.R. Geeker's chair and that keeps him young. <laughs> He's got a pile of, he's got a tube of black goo. Yeah. That just, we don't know what it does, but it's doing something. We're going to try it. Yeah. But, but definitely movies are being made differently now than they were in the past. And you're not getting the kind of, this is about the performance, this is about the character kind of movie anymore that they used to have the time to do. Basically. I think you, you still are getting those once in a while, but you need to have a director that has the sort of Christopher Nolan leverage to say. Right. I get this. Yeah. But again, it's coming from a business standpoint of I've made this much money, mm-hmm, so sure. I get final cut in my... Yeah. Well, it's, it's, a lot of it has to do with the death of the, um, basically the middle class budgets of exactly. uh, movie makings. It's exactly. either uh, yeah. tiny indies or giant tent poles. So then you have, you know, these moderate budgeted 30, 40 million dollar movies that have all but disappeared, mm-hmm. which right. is yeah. where you can take the chances and the time and all this stuff. Chris, it's like you reached inside my brain. <laughs> Exactly what I've been telling people oh, everywhere. Yes, everywhere. Gross. Maybe it's because we both went to Temple. I know. <laughs> but the other is there, is there sort of a Borg yeah, brain coming out of film? <laughs> a hive? Yep. <laughs> it's a film cube. But to add to what you're saying, also, Chris, you have these movies um, that that are still like that, where it's because they were a passion project and they've been making the movie in their heads for ten years. Mm-hmm. So every so often, movies like if it's something where it's like a, a a movie star has always wanted to play this biographical figure, so he's got that character and he's been working on it. Okay, you know? this is a great this is a great example. Let's go to our next movie, which is Sicario, right? Which is I think was an amazing movie. You've got the director, which is Dennis Villeneuve. I can't pronounce that. Correctly. Uh, the the director of Prisoners. Director of Prisoners, oh. and he's done a lot of smaller films. So yeah. he's coming up in that thing that we're talking about. Right, right. And my guess is then he was given the uh, the freedom in Sicario to kind of do what he wanted to do, not to craft it the way he to wanted. craft it the way he wanted to craft. I, I here's here's why I really like this movie on a, on a lot of levels. Proving my point, the budget for Sicario. $30 million. There you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, that, I think, is why he kind of got to have his leverage, because if it's $100 million or more, he's not. there's no way they're going to let him. <laughs> foreign money, probably foreign money. Forget. It was... Um, he's got a French-sounding name, so I just assumed it was French money. And maybe Black on. Label Media, and then Lionsgate. Okay, well, Lionsgate. Lionsgate's one of the few people who are still operating in the middle sure. class of it all. Right. And they'll distribute anything. And that is so. true. <laughs> they will. <laughs> Anything. SWAT versus devil. Yes. Um, uh, so here, here's what I want to say about Sicario. It's, it's an amazing film. Um, and Emily Blunt, this new 
Badass, badass Emily, Emily Blunt. Blunt. Fucking hell yeah. I, yeah. I, I'm sure she'll come back with a cute little Brit. Pride and Prejudice. I'm sure we'll get some of those. I'm in love, but I don't know. Mary Great. Poppins, too. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mary Poppins, too. The Reckoning. Yeah, um, I, I, you think I'm joking. <laughs> what? <laughs> I am not joking. There's a Mary Poppins 2 coming There's out. There's talk and Emily Blunt is in the lead. Wow, really? No, no, it won't be Mary Poppins 2. It'll be a reboot that also works as a sequel and a remake. And it's what, Guy Ritchie is doing it? And then it's... <laughs> uh, yeah, if so, <laughs> That's not off. a flying umbrella. That's a flying umbrella. <laughs> <laughs> Bullet time umbrella flying. <laughs> um, I like this movie... Um, on a lot of levels. It's all really great performances. Benicio Del Toro is doing my favorite thing Benicio Del Toro does, which is ambiguous. Good. <laughs> yeah. Is he good? Yeah. Is he bad? Is he? I thought you were going to say mumbling. Yeah, mumbling, I was going to say mumbling. Sure. Yeah. Mumbling. I can't understand a word that guy says, but yeah. he's great. He's awesome. Yeah. He's the best mumble actor yeah. in the he's business. The, he's the creepiest mumbler. Yeah. Yeah, he won the Oscar. award for, <laughs> for, for creepling. He won the Oscar for the one movie you can understand him because he's subtitled. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> is that Shay? Is that <laughs> um, I like this movie. Uh, one of the reasons I I also really enjoyed this film, and this is what I saw at the two the two fans at Melbourne for the CFN meetup, um, was I've actually been watching a lot of like um, uh, Pablo Escobar. <laughs> I've been watching that show yeah. Narco. Um, yeah, well, I was about to say how I mean how oh, do you? I love Narcos. Myself. God damn, Narcos uh, is good. It's brilliant. Yeah, Narcos is good on Netflix because they do a really nice job of weaving in actual news footage. Mm-hmm. And I personally remember that time as like as a, as a teenager and in college, where you'd hear these crazy stories yeah. and all the crazy shit that Pablo Escobar did. Um, Sicario is a good companion piece, I think, to that. If you're really delving into '80s drug kingpin lore, it's really good. But Sicario is more modern day now. But it, it still it's, works. It's it's still, still, it's, yeah, no, it still works together. I mean, it's all part of that same mm-hmm. kind of vein, I think, and, and different a, protagonists, right? It's well, yeah, no, the no, two sorry. sides of the team, basically. Well, it's it's who plays Crockett and who plays Tubbs. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Chris, that's exactly what this movie is. Um, uh, I sarcastically yes anded you. Yeah, uh, that's, that's a bad. <laughs> so it what it is is so James Brolin is the um Josh Josh no I still call by the old man's name uh, <laughs> I'm sure he loves that <laughs> Josh Brolin Josh you were great in the car yeah <laughs> I loved you in the series Hotel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, so, like that reference. Yeah, so we're going to talk 80s. I thought, sure. I, was, I, thought mm-hmm. I was sticking to yeah. <laughs> My God, it's amazing. Um, <laughs> so uh, Josh um, does a good job of playing this sort of vague um, U.S. government guy. Right. Aren't all the characters kind of like vague? Like you're not really sure who's doing except what Emily Blunt. Except Emily Blunt. She okay. is a local SWAT team in Phoenix. The movie starts out and they find all these bodies in a drug cartel house in like Chandler, Arizona. So that's mm. like, oh my god! And there's a CNN report like, holy shit! We thought the Mexican cartel was just doing evil shit south of the border. Mm. So what this movie does, and I and I won't, you know, I don't want to spoil stuff. Maybe we should do a spoiler up if if we can on mm-hmm. at some point because it it. it this film deserves that. It's clear more people should be watching this movie. Too. Yes. Yeah. Uh, because it delves into the actual dilemma of what's going on. There's a scene in there where Josh Brolin goes, look, until 20% of the population stops wanting to use cocaine, <laughs> guess what? Which is really like, 
the blame yeah. is on us. Yeah, Everyone was, all those Mexicans are violent and evil. Well, guess what? If, if, and, and you think you're going to go fight and shoot these guys when, when hundreds of millions of dollars are at stake, they're never going to stop. And when everyone keeps, when there's a demand for it, it's never going to stop. The only thing, per, this is just my fucking grandstanding here, but unless, <laughs> unless you legalize it and tax it, I don't know how you're going to stop the demand for it. But that's what this movie gets into. And so how do we fight these guys? And Emily Blunt is very much like, I'm a cop. I want due process. And she's sort of recruited and sort of sees that it's like Benicio Del Toro and Josh Brolin are very much like by any means necessary. Mm-hmm. And so she has this dilemma with that. And the dilemma is, at first it was kind of frustrating for me because I was like, wake, wake the fuck up. And then I went, oh, she's sort of, the, the writer and the director, my guess was they were like, she's representing America that's right. got their head in the sand. Of like, we just need to lock up the drug dealers and no sure, more. Sure. And it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like this, the CIA is involved in this shit. Everyone's buying drugs as long as there's a demand. How are you? You think we're doing bigger jails? Well, she's following the path that got her into law enforcement in the first place. And that kind of black, and like I remember talking to a guy who became a SWAT guy, and Mm -hmm. I I asked him, you know, what what made you want to do that? It's, I mean, it's the most dangerous thing you can do as as a police officer, basically, um, besides maybe bomb squad. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was like, I got into this so I could shoot the bad guy. And like that was his, that was his answer. And that level of moral fortitude, I guess, like right. what he imagines to be that. I mean, I, I read a review of the movie that said that um, one of the great things it did was it created, uh, it, was, it was a feminist action movie by treating the character as a human rather than a woman icon. And so by making her flawed. So it wasn't like Lara Croft. Right. Yeah, it was an actual right. character. Well... <laughs> Why do we watch Laura Croft? I mean, why do we play that game? It's to look at Laura Croft. And I don't think, and even though Emily Blunt, certainly she's one of the few actresses working today where I'm like, oh, she's in that? Oh, yeah, I want, yeah, I want to see that. And to, I'm sorry to correct real quick. She's actually an FBI agent. Right. But she's mm-hmm. an idealistic FBI agent. Right, right. Well, she, I mean, yeah. She, I mean, Which is just a federal is cop. A substitute for the audience for sure. Right. I mean, definitely, because I think, I think most of the audience, most of the people who still buy the war on drugs still believe that, it's like, let's like, get rid of the drug drug dealers and we'll all be fine. I think they're all yeah. share that same and, point of view. And this war on drugs, it's been happening for almost 100 years. Right. And, the only, one person, right. and right. the only group that's been profiting from it outside of the drug dealers is the DEA. Right. Because of all the seizures. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's one of the things getting into. Now, how, how much was this like traffic? It's kind of like traffic in the sense that, you know, traffic was sort of the, um, the Syriana for drugs showing mm-hmm. the. Ooh. The convoluted, yeah. the 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 last comparison. The I like Syriana better. Anyway, go on. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's what traffic was trying to show. Like yeah. you think it's simple. Like you think the war in Iraq is simple. You yeah. think you think that the, yeah. the oil thing is simple. You think terrorism and oil is simple. It's this. It's so con complex. And it's the same thing with the drug cartels, the demand from the states, the, all these rich Americans buying cocaine. Most of them white suburban kids. <laughs> That's all, that has always been my argument against cocaine. It's like, how many Colombians had to die so you can keep drinking tonight? Yeah, I know. It's, it's like, uh, that's the other thing. When people are like, oh, I just do a little coke at a party. You want to you you trail? 
You want to find out wh- how that got into your party at the vial at the it, cool it, it, club? You want to? You want me to trail that for you, man? It's fucking bloody and horrifying. So Trump doesn't need to build a wall. He just needs more <laughs> spoiled rich kids. Yeah, that's he, right. he just he just he needs to do all the cocaine himself. Yeah. <laughs> well, you well, can build all the walls you happening. want if the CIA is flying the shit into yeah, fucking no Davis Montan Air Force Base <laughs> yeah. in yeah, Tucson. Exactly. Then it doesn't fucking matter, now does it? So, like that's was pa- this based on a book? Um, I don't believe so. It's so based on a true story. Well, now one of the things we talked to about, like, you know, not as many people are seeing this film was because you have a movie in that $30 million range. When it's in there, the marketing budget is smaller. The marketing right. budget so, is smaller. And they also, the way they've been releasing this film has been, you know, in that the, the old way, which I it was cool back then, a platform, like, they'll it'll play. This is a little bit more Los Angeles for the people who are listening outside of here, but they'll play it in the Century City, which is this one remote theater area in LA for like a week or two to see if it catches on. And then they'll let it trickle mm. into your local AMCs mm. and your Regals. Right. So if people aren't finding it on the opening weekend and it's trailing off and getting blotted out by pan. Well, the thing and that the yeah. budgets for those, yes. I don't, I don't think it'll be pan. Uh, well, uh, the budgets for the for market. sure. Oh, I see. I see. But, yeah. And definitely it also takes up the uh, theater space. Like, yeah. you know, you have a 16, uh, theater multiplex. Um, eight of those screens will be pan right. and they will be empty. So, uh, when going to the next film right now, I, I did see Pan over the weekend. Uh, and you, you, uh, wow. $150 million for this film. That was the budget. I just want to say real quick, I'm, yeah. I'm looking up Sicario on Fandango, and now... It has gone wide. It, it is has in, gone wide now. Yeah, yeah it is in right. it is in every theater right. in Southern California. And people right should see it. But but the, but when they first came out, I remember oh, yeah. I was bummed because I'm at a, I'm at a point now where I don't see any see anything unless mm-hmm. it plays in my local Lemley, right? Because I don't <laughs> feel like paying ArcLight prices or dealing with AMC crowds, right? And uh, and I was bummed because Sicario came out on its release date and I wasn't playing at the Lemley. I was like, oh man. But then it played there like a week later because they do the stagger release thing and it was out, thank God. I think the cool thing about about the stagger release that is that I've, I'm noticing they're starting, I'm hoping this, they're learning from this is these, these, handful of as you say the middle class budgets that don't have they don't have 40 million dollar right. marketing budgets because right. that that's the budget for the whole film right. <laughs> is they're starting to get savvy that with the social media now by sunday the whole country knows if this movie's good or not right right and they're going, oh. Yeah. And you also wonder, too, are we headed in the direction of these um, $30, $40 million films? Will they start to go on demand uh, the way the lower budget ones do at the same time? They're oh, well, they definitely should do theaters. day and date and still do the theatrical, just do it all. I mean, if you're a $30 million film, which is not you know small change by no. any stretch, uh, but at the same time, you need to make that money back. And as far as you should be in every theater, every corner, every DVD, every VOD that you can possibly get. Yeah, I think get rid of this, unless it's a unless it's an Avengers or something, get rid of this, we have to delay the DVD. For these mid-range movies, right. just get them out there. Because most people there, are like, exactly. like yeah. you say, like I'm some, a lot of people I've spoken to are like, I'm not going to the theater unless it's something... You know, huge like an event film, like right. an event yeah. film, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's Jurassic World or the Avengers or something. And this might be inside baseball too, but I have noticed in LA a really good movie will play for a long time, and and it will play you know play at the ArcLight for right. a long time. Right. I think the gift was there for mm-hmm. a, a few months, which mm-hmm. uh, which the volume of movies being released now that's unheard of for that's mm-hmm. a small movie, right? Like that. Something being held over, you yeah. know, because that that's all taken in advance, all those slots for the, uh, sure. the theaters in each one, yeah. But now, so talk about Pan. Pan. Let's now, if another small movie. That if, needs yes, a little... if you definitely want to um, 
Go to a movie and be in a theater where no one will bother you. Go see, uh, go see Pam. Is it Disney? Um, it is not no, Disney. It is not no, Disney. that's why it's not it's the Warner, old it's Warner Brothers. And it's a Warner Brothers movie. And I don't know who the fuck thought. You know what, Hook? We need to do that again. But, but a prequel. Yeah, but a prequel. Yes. This movie was the biggest mess piece of shit I have seen in many a year. Wow. Are, and and specifically targeted towards children. This is what I, you, made me so angry. You are so angry right now. I, I was really angry because it was like two hours that I wasted because, you know, and also when you go to see movies, my whole family goes. Yeah. So it's four tickets that get burned. Yeah. Um, so you're so, out a hundred and a Yeah. yeah a couple yeah, hundred. Oh my it's, gosh. It's, it's, it's yes. insane because then you got to have shares of this movie. Yes. Yes. So they, what they do is they count on when they make these dumb uh, kids' movies that are unwatchable. They're like, well, you know, every time you sell one ticket, it's two because the p- kids can't go on their own. So, you know, you're guaranteed two to four right. tickets each time. However, the math was quite wrong on this one. The theater was mostly empty mm. uh, and it was in a lot of theaters. But this movie was such an unbelievable mess. The story was ridiculous. And uh, just the fact that this is my favorite part. Everyone is in these giant, gaudy costumes, overacting, mm. and even Hugh Jackman. <laughs> Uh, there's a scene where they get taken on the pirate ship. They go into Neverland, and Hugh Jackman comes out in his, his crazy Starlight Express pirate outfit. And, uh, and <laughs> the amazing Technicolor yeah. pirate outfit? And starts to sing um, a Nirvana song. And yeah. then all of the oh, other... Oh, an actual Nirvana song. An actual song. Nirvana song with all the... Uh, and the never one, mind. The never only mind. one you can get. Smells yes. like Teen, teen yeah, Spirit. Yeah, Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yeah. And uh, it's singing it with all the other Lost Boys that have just been abducted. In and a I'm bad thinking, accent? In a, oh, my God. I don't need to know. We are lost went to China. It, it, was, oh, it really God. felt like that. Yeah, as and Norman then a Blitzkrieg bop, too, and, right? I know. And it was like, well, this must be Basil. Somebody. Um, and it had that feel of like uh, the type of movie that, all right, everyone in the crew gets to direct for one day. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone gets to a scene to direct so nothing will possibly match. Oh, um, wow. Everybody gets to direct. I want to so, make a movie like that. Wow. I want to no. see what happens. And everyone gets to direct. <laughs> everyone gets to do rewrites on the Oh, my God. Page. Clearly, oh, the money God. was not in the script. The money all went in the special effects. Because I will say, if there was one redeeming quality about this film, the effects were absolutely inventive and amazing. Like, nice. like okay. all this money was spent. The visual artist, I wouldn't even be surprised if it gets nominated for mm-hmm. visual effects, but nothing else. Didn't they also have to turn Rooney Mara into a Native American? Oh, that was my other favorite part. You have the indigenous um, Indians. Try. Yeah, yes. the, um, the indigenous people were the Indians the tribes and uh, Rumi Mara a porcelain skinned yeah. girl yes. with a British accent was the Indian princess yes, yes. 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 Lily White yes yeah Tiger Lily White pretty oh, much <laughs> um, Tiger Lily and now the one effect I was like at the beginning oh, wow. I thought well maybe this could be kind of cool before everyone started speaking and the story started unfolding <laughs> is because uh, it was set in World War II because if you go into the backstory of Wait. when Peter Pan oh, was written sure. uh, yeah it's all how, like, there was Barry James thing, right? Barry and his crazy fucked up childhood and how you know went through World War II when the pirate ship appears over the orphanage and takes the uh, kids it's visible so the Royal Air Force chases it with their fighter planes and I'm like oh that's kind of cool that yeah. would be really cool I'm uh-huh. like oh okay then it just goes in the clouds and then the planes can't follow and then that's it and then that's the pilots it. are yeah. all singing yeah. Foo Fighters yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 on that day 
they got a guy with promise to direct. Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, he's going to do something someday. Richard Stanley snuck yes. in. <laughs> he was peeing. Wow. He was hanging around yeah. craft service for the day. Yeah, he was, yeah. he was a lost boy. Yeah. Like, hey, 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 Dick, do you want to uh, do a day tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. But, the, but I do, I, I read the thing where it said that the pirates sing a Ramon song at one point, and I kind of thought like, yeah, all right. Like you know, I, I liked I liked a Knight's Tale. I, I like anachronism. Sure, you know? sure. But you the, won't like it here. Yeah, I know. Yeah. No, I, I, now yeah. He, here was my uh, other favorite, wonderful part of this film. It is being billed as like you know the untold story between Peter Pan and Captain Hook. How they meet. They were friends first, and then <laughs> um, they make Captain Hook a character. Worked in a mine. Uh, he worked in a mine. Um, helped Peter Pan. And that was it. That was the entire oh, great, thing. Great, there was great. literally no backstory on how he became an evil pirate, how he was friends with Peter Pan, how the relationship went sour, is. and how he tried to kill him from every day, at, you know, following yeah. after blah, that. Blah, Did blah, blah. Did he even lose Chris, his hand? That's... They didn't even show that. <laughs> they, they showed a giant crocodile, and he didn't get his hand eaten. Why can we not have movies where, like, heroes and villains just don't like each other from the get-go? They get off on the wrong <laughs> footing. We have to go through this whole entire thing of everybody used to be hunky-dory. And yeah. you know what? I'm fine with that if you show me the progression the show right. give me something to actually watch and then they I, this is not a spoiler they buttoned it at the end you know everyone's friends and you know they're on a pirate ship and they go oh yeah captain looks a great guy what could possibly go wrong and then like what do you actually think in your head you're gonna make a sequel to this piece of shit <laughs> a trilogy yeah, yeah a trilogy really yeah uh, this so- is joe wright this is the guy that did hannah Oh my God! You know what, Hannah? Um, far I didn't more even put that together. Far more entertaining than yeah, Hannah uh, is entertaining. Yeah, yeah. Hannah is very entertaining. Uh, f- but I, what what else is in his um, Pride and Prejudice, Anna Karenina, yeah. and Atonement? Mm. And the wow, solo, the soloist. So this is this is literally his 1941. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He might have taken it. Like, he might be waving the so. check, going, see you when I get out of director jail. Well, Because, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, we got a giant <laughs> paycheck for this. Everyone got a giant paycheck for Everybody this. Everybody had to get a giant paycheck. Maybe, everyone- maybe, maybe he did that and he went, now I've got $5 million to do my passion piece. There That's true. That could be. That That's could true. be. Because all those films that you listed are actually good films. Yeah. And they're also very much, and I can see the pitch to him as like, we're going to do a Peter Pan film. That has the same reality and that you brought to Atonement. This very real British values kind of yes. approach, and it's a classic story. We're yes. gonna; these are classic characters. People are gonna love seeing these characters on screen again. Um, not if you ruin them. <laughs> yeah, then people don't want to see them, especially if they have literally nothing to do with the story that we actually know. Um, so it's you know, and <laughs> Hugh Jackman he plays um, you know. Uh, the 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 pirate and my kids actually thought he was Captain Hook because it's so confusing He's and convoluted. He's Blackbeard, yeah. And then Who in was the a actual, historical figure, yes, uh, not around during World War Two. And, and in the uh, in in the Peter Pan like um, mythology, I guess you could call it, is that Captain Hook, you know, sailed with. Blackbeard, and that was like one, and that is never referenced or mentioned. And like, well, you would think you'd be setting them up, but you have both characters actually there. And they set, they set uh, Captain Hook up as like an Indiana Jones character. He's got like the only um, weird kind of adventurer suit that no one else seems to have on with that with the fedora. <laughs> what? Everything. Nice. It's absolutely is where, hilarious. Is that what the Indiana Jones movie is going to go? We're going to turn Harrison Ford into the villain. 
and well, have some news. Well, well, I think no, what, no, we're just going to explain it. I think I think what's great too is not only did everyone get to direct one day, is that everyone got to work costumes one day. Right. <laughs> so you could just kind of do whatever you want. Everybody and then, wears tights today. It's and my then to, day. to show some it's of the my... violence, it was like. <laughs> Oh, great. It's tight stick. Some of the violence, you have, like, the pirates and the Indians fight. Okay, I get that. That was supposed to happen. That's always happened in, sure. you know, at Neverland. But when the pirates shoot a... Um, uh, an Indian, they explode into a colorful puff of smoke like they were candy. Like it like makes no sense. Like, honestly, Chris, if I didn't know you, I would think you were lying to me. Yeah, right. <laughs> I know. Like I was making this up. I That's know. Right. And then Peter Frampton and the Bee Gees are playing Beatles songs. Right. Yes. <laughs> This is all a fever dream of yours. Yeah, yeah it is. It really felt like, like that. Your, like, well, this can't be. I can't be watching this right like now. If one of your children described all these things, I'd go, oh, okay. Like, yeah. The kids. The kids yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know what movie they saw, yeah. but I don't think that happened. Kids like yeah. to exaggerate. <laughs> it struck me from, just from seeing it from afar, it struck me as Baz Luhrmann style, like that kind of level of irreverence and energy. And like they were giving him... Giving Joe Wright car blanche to make his Baz in every, movie in every fourteenth scene, maybe, nope. yeah, yeah, That's for it. sure. Like it was like one of those things that uh, you could see like that influence, but only every like once in a while. Like it was just a mess. Like everything was tonally up and down, and it was it was a complete mess. And everyone's you know Joe Wright clearly wasn't spending a lot of time directing the actors. You know, everyone was all overacting and ridiculous, and even like. Hugh Jackman tried to do his best to kind of do something with the character and like you you don't blame any of the actors in a movie like this Uh, but you can and I just thought as I'm watching this movie 150 million (laughs) dollars what if Warner Brothers Made, made 150 one million dollar movies and they all would have been better than. Could have made oh, five Sicarios. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah five mm-hmm. Sicarios. Remember well, the scene in the Dark Knight when Joker just sets fire to the money. Yeah, that yeah. was a Warner Brothers film. That was yeah. the same. Yeah. <laughs> but now you gotta rush over to Menchie's and get your souvenir pan spoons because they're gonna be. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna be worth some money. <laughs> they're, gonna worth they're gonna have money. so many. They're, they're gonna be burning those. Yeah, because oh, they got like crates and crates of them. But oh did your God. kids really want to see it? They did. And the reason is because they like the Peter Pan story sure, and because sure. visually it looks beautiful. It right. really does. So okay. that was the thing that they really responded to as much as like even my daughter said to me, is like, is that really what happened? Is that in the stories? I'm like, no, not at all. This was just for the movie. Sometimes adults uh, are liars. Yes. And uh, all the time. I'm not going to read you yes. the book right now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Let's see how this was supposed to happen. Like, uh, even like Disney, how they take liberties on these sure. classic stories. But this was like, we're just going to throw everything away and just not use any of it. Wow. Um, so the tagline movie is, eh. Yeah. <laughs> it's the tagline. So, yeah. so it was a leave it. And uh, it was one of those movies. I saw it. So you don't have to. Um, well, there you go. <laughs> Thank you for so taking now, the hit. So now we have an ad read, ladies and gentlemen. The sponsor of this show is, again, Touch, Touch of Modern. Of Modern. Ooh. And we're really excited about the sponsor, too, because it's constantly changing. It's not like we're we're pitching the same thing over and over again. Like, I checked the site today. Some really beautiful, classic um, Japanese art from, like, the uh, 1800s. Ooh. Really cool. Uh, Touch of Modern is one of those um, really cool kind of um, websites that the inventory changes like almost every day. So it's almost like a club, but you don't. it doesn't cost anything to sign up. You go to touchofmodern.com, you sign up, and it shows you what's, uh, what's there. But what it really is, it's kind of like a, uh, a men's gadgety speakeasy. It's like if Sharper Image <laughs> was cool. <laughs> 
where pirates sing uh, yeah where Nirvana pirates songs. sing Nirvana uh, songs um, and there's no. always some Star Wars art and there's always a survival knife those are the two things that are in it on the front page well one of the things I'm looking at that's cool is the fortified bike lights I cycle all the time and you need Front and back lights, guys. Safety first. Yeah, especially uh, in L.A. These are pretty amazing lights, man. I, God, I love this shit. I love looking at this stuff. And people have been tweeting, too. Like, there's a bunch of stuff on there that I didn't know I needed until I went to the site. It's like that kind of stuff. You're like, oh, this is so cool. I didn't know that existed. Now I must have it. Yeah. Uh, really cool, like, even, um, like, jellyfish uh, bowls and, like, ecospheres and all really cool, like, type of little uh, fish tanks. There's one that's right now, it's a... Um, it's a fish tank, but it's like it's molded glass, so it's also art. So the fishbowl itself is molded into like the um, landscapes of like hills and valleys. Hmm. So when you put the water in and the fish, it's it already looks like something that you've created. Wow! So just to confuse the fish just to confuse more. the fish more, like so they keep bumping into the uh, the glass mountains. Um, but it's it's real it's really cool stuff. They have clothing, they have gadgets, they have artwork, and there's always some Star Wars stuff in there. As yeah, there's well. a Chewbacca blowing a bubble. There's like an artwork of Chewbacca blowing a like a bubblegum bubble. Yeah, like a bubblegum yeah. bubble, as opposed true. to like a little like wand bubble. A wand bubble would be cool. That would be cool. Maybe that's maybe it's a suite of drawings. <laughs> <laughs> it's a progression. So it doesn't cost anything to join, which is really cool. And it is touchofmodern.com, and you've got to you got to check it out because the stuff changes every day. Like you get immediate access. And if there's something you like, you got to get it because tomorrow it may not be there. I want to go check it out later. Yeah, for yep. a friend, get 20 bucks. Yeah, there you go. Everyone gets a taste. Come on, everyone gets a taste. <laughs> wow. Wet my beak a little yeah. bit. You know what I mean? Like the black hand. Yeah. Got by the Wet my beak a little bit. <laughs> um, all right. Let's get into uh, what our two guests Yes, and have been seeing and also making. Yeah. Because it it is October. It is um, Halloween. It is horror movie month. Frank, tell us about um, the Wrong Turn film that you have written. Well, Wrong Turn 6, the last resort and possibly the last film (laughs) in the series. Uh, That was a film I wrote. (laughs) Available in stores everywhere. Actually, yes. No, there was a scandal with Wrong Turn 6. (laughs) There was a recall of the film when it came out last year. Uh, the scandal was that uh, somebody didn't. Uh, the brakes weren't working. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> no, they, the, 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 somebody didn't uh, clear a picture of somebody that was included in the shot. Unfortunately, uh, so they had to go back and, oh, put, wow. and correct that. But Wrong Turn Six is out there now. It's on VOD. It's on iTunes. And oh, I, great! Oh yeah, it's bad. It's all back back out there and, and available if you want some. Uh, Nudity, a lot of nudity. In fact, so a lot of people on Twitter were taking me to task. They say if you write Wrong Turn Seven, not as much sex. Which blew my mind. Too much sex. Too much sex for a horror movie. In my cheap horror sequel. Yes. I'm sorry, I didn't mean cheap. I meant they didn't pay you enough. <laughs> <laughs> did you write the nudity in? I did. I wrote I wrote sex scenes and nudity in. Uh, now, the director, of uh, Valerie Malev. But uh, now with a $30 million budget, you would have a little leeway. And with, with a $30 this. million dollar budget, I, I, I would have had much would, better visual effects. Yeah. <laughs> may have been able to get Hugh Jackman to play one of the mutants. <laughs> <laughs> and that would have saved us. Um, no, it's um, Hugh Jackman's a mutant that would never work. never work. Yeah, uh, but we uh, try, with Wrong Turn Six. We tried the effort was to try to go in a new direction because uh, uh, and make a right turn, make a right turn for once, perhaps. <laughs> and some fans think uh, that uh, we did, and some fans think that we didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because we'll this franchise has been going for years. Well, yeah. Well, there are six films in, and this was from an Elijah Dushku film. Mm-hmm. That was conceived by Stan Winston. Yes, back in the I day. remember. 
and then the first film came out, and nobody expected anything else. Then Wrong Turn 2 comes out, and Joe Lynch directs it and knocks it out of the park. Um, it's one of the rare straight-to-video sequels yeah. that everybody, it's just sort of all the horror fans, yeah. have seen and, and really mm-hmm. champion. And then, uh, then unfortunately, from there on out, it was all direct-to-video for everything. It was uh, for 3, 4, and 5. Uh, Declan O'Brien had taken it, and for some reason, they decided to make them prequels to the Elijah Dushku. And unfortunately, Wrong Turn 6 is still one because we're getting up to the point now where Elijah Dushku is going to come crashing through the front door of the hotel in the movie because we're that <laughs> up against it. But with wrong, if uh, but it's out there now. If you if you like your blood and guts, if you like, uh, and if you like a lot of sex in your horror movie, if you like a lot of sex in your horror movie. There is nudity all over the place. Now, how did you get involved in this franchise? Somebody asked me. It was really that I I was writing sci-fi channels for a company, uh, and they were the ones who were working with Fox mm-hmm. to produce the Wrong Turn films. They had produced the uh, three and four. But not five, or but they, but they produced some of the sequels as well, and they uh, they knew that I was a sick and twisted guy, so mm-hmm. they came to me and said, <laughs> "Frank, would you like to write Wrong Turn Six? To which I said, "Yes, yes." Because if you're but now wait guy, a minute, can I put a lot of sex in it? Sure, Frank. They wanted. <laughs> Did they give you any parameters? When, they there were some parameters. <laughs> we had a bet actually, because the bet was that the first nude scene they had in a Wrong Turn film was about a minute in, and I said, "I'll get you in ten seconds." And per the script, <laughs> it started with a woman coming out of a lake totally nude. Unfortunately, the way they directed it, they had to put it off so the nude scene doesn't come until after a minute. So I didn't make my bet. Damn it. But I wanted to have nudity. You know, there was, you know, we had parameters. When they came to me with it, I mean, there, there are certain things that we had to keep in mind. Uh, they wanted to have the core three mutants uh, in there, th- uh, you know, three finger, one eye, and sawtooth. And uh, they wanted. They well, had, I saw in Vegas, by the way. They do an amazing yeah, show. They, they really do. Yeah. Yeah. They really, really do. And the buffet afterwards. Oh, that's great. Oh, my. The dinner all, show package. Yes, <laughs> an all protein meal. And um, so uh, they, so that was one of them. And they also had a, they had, they had a location. They wanted it to take place at like an Overlook Hotel type place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it started to be a prequel to the first film and the second film, which, like I said, it takes a lot of jumping through hoops because you also. You have to be careful of introducing anachronistic things, which we still do anyway, because the cell phones that they're using on camera were cell phones that were not out when right. the first phone came out. But it's wrong turn, so you kind of just let it go. Um, and uh, <laughs> nobody's going to a wrong turn movie for like historical accuracy. Yes, exactly, exactly. exactly. Um, it's those little touches that make a wrong yeah. turn uh, sequel. But we, we we did have a little bit of controversy in the writing because of the first draft. There was concern that the ending I had written was too graphic and too disturbing. That they were afraid they wouldn't be able to find an actress to play the part in the the, in the scene. Mm. So we almost had to dial it back. But Fox came in ultimately and said, "No, no, we can keep it in there. If you see the film, the scene that's in there, you'll you'll know what I mean." I guess I could describe it because it came out last year. I guess I could spoil it a little bit. I mean, but I don't know. I, you see, want people to see it. I want people to see it. Go see it. The, so if it involves want, sex. I'll say that much. Okay. So if you want people to see it, is that you're leaning more towards not describing the scene? Is that? Not, no, I'm not going to describe. Dis- I'm squeamish. Describe, yeah. So you don't have to describe yeah, yeah. it. Yeah. Don't, it's don't not We'll use our imagination. Yeah, but it's not, you know, it, it wasn't, I wanted to be not so much. It's all about. Clive Barker always says the horror is about breaking taboos. Mm. And I wanted to break a lot of taboos and not just be blood and death. So there's a few things we go into, which if you're inbred cam- cannibals, 
clearly there's some incest going on. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, played a big thing in the uh, uh, film as well. So I think it was there were some things that were definitely disturbing to viewers, which I was happy about because that's what I'm trying to do. And uh, you're and you're a big Lovecraft fan, so you're the kind of person who, rather than have it be just for shock, you're going to say, "Well, let's do something that the more you think about it, the right. less you want to." Yes, and that, I mean, and and there's a little bit of lurking fear in there. If you're a Lovecraft fan, there's a little bit of lurking fear in Wrong Turn Six. If you could spot it. Uh, I'm very happy with it. It came out, you know, for, because when you when you write these things, they come to you, they have you write it, and then you're lucky if you meet the director, let alone talk to them sure. or anything like that. I understand. And so it's it's <laughs> it's it's an even bet as to what what's going to come out the other end, right? And that's true of screenwriting anyway. <laughs> but uh, with with Wrong Turn six, six when it came out, it was just like there there was stuff that the director, I mean, he he took it in his own direct his own way, and it came out almost as I had envisioned it when I wrote it. So I was very happy. And I hope to write seven because we have a continued story to go. We have some place to go. That's but, where. Wrong but is it also going to be another prequel where you're still leading up I, to? I, it depends on the studio. That's I don't have much control over whether or not it would be. I would like it not to be, mm-hmm. or I would like it to be the film that finally ties it all together. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my hope. We'll see if that happens. Um, it worked for Fast and the Furious. Oh, it worked yeah. for Fast and the Furious. <laughs> and maybe, I assume. Yeah. I, you know, so. But uh, no, yeah, that's wrong, wrong, wrong. Turn Six was a uh, was definitely an experience to write. Wow! I hope Wrong Turn Seven has even more nudity. Yes, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have so much. Well, the director he had said that he was more comfortable uh, directing sex scenes than he was directing gory scenes. Hmm. So you asked if I wrote the nudity in there. I wrote the nudity and I wrote that they have sex. But if you're a writer, you know you usually just write that line and they have sex or and they. You know, start thrusting and you try to be creative. Uh, but he made a, <laughs> what a fine director you'll, you'll make when we get to those. Scenes. I know. Start thrusting. Yes. Start thrusting. And oh. cuts. And cuts. Get a, get a European director. These scenes need to be longer. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> if, you've ever, if you've ever watched the raw footage of someone doing like one of those horrible softcore sport humping scenes, it's, yes. it's always great because you'll see like it's just a shot of an actress just bouncing and then you can see when the guy calls cut and she goes like eh, eh, okay yeah <laughs> yeah it's like it's yeah, yeah all right, punch in the clock the uh well when Graham, while you were in australia we were all going to horror film festivals yes. for uh, october i was at shriek fest with neil and um i got to see uh kind of a thriller called uh the answer which was pretty interesting but i this is uh this is now a record now. Neil came out of one screening while I was walking in, and he was uh, thoroughly green and flushed. He was sick because it was a found footage film, and it made him completely nauseous, and it had never happened to him before. And so that is now two comedy film nerds writers who have now thrown up after watching a film. <laughs> what was the other one? Uh, was it that, was, uh, Mike Schmidt back. was watching... Um, Oh, what was it? It was uh, VHS. Okay, and it was the, those. The, it's the shaky camera. It mm-hmm. makes some people wow. it fucks yeah. with their equilibrium and just makes them unbelievably sick. So, yeah. and Neil is pr- has a pretty strong constitution for uh, first of all content a, <laughs> yeah. and then yeah. uh, an actual the shaky camera. But this had a weird um, device where this film. He said because uh, I was talking to Denise Gossett, who runs the festival. It, yeah. The way they shot the film, it was all one person's perspective. So the camera was strapped to somebody's body and would look at the other actor. Mm. So so yeah. it was literally um, just one person moving around with them with a the camera strapped to them. So it made Neil very ill. 
And what we did, we did some interviews at the uh, festival, the uh, director of Chatter, which was uh, another great film that um, Neil saw. And I interviewed um, Denise Gossett that runs the festival. So we're going to be releasing those uh, shortly, too. We'll have uh, a... But now you guys also went to a couple festivals, right? Yeah. Yeah. uh, Went uh, to the same one. Yeah, we did. Well, we went to Beyond Fest. Mm -hmm. And uh, you saw a few more films, but the one film we both saw was... uh, the new film from uh, Joe Bagos called The Mind's Eye. Now yep. tell us about that film. Uh, Mind's, well, if, for those who don't know, uh, Bagos, he did a, did a film uh, two years ago called Almost Human. Yep. And that's on Netflix now, I believe, still. And it's definitely like a throwback to the 80s gore films, like of the evil dead ilk. And, the uh, real strong kind of Carpenter influence. Yes, very much, very much. And, and Mind's Eye continues that in that vein. This is a telekinetic horror. We're talking scanners and fury territory. Okay. And it's really like war between these telekinetic guys. And as they said at the beginning of the screening, there's like, don't look for meaning. Don't look too deep. This is purely just for fun. That's right. Josh, the editor producer said, it's a movie about psychic guys fighting each other. Just, you know, just, just have fun. Yeah. Everybody had beer. <laughs> yeah, drink a beer. Drink a beer. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah. the fact that these guys are so unpretentious and they really do just want to make the kinds of movies that they enjoyed when they said in 1991 mm-hmm. and, uh, Joe's uh, younger than me, but uh, I think, um, 1991, I, I would have been renting a movie like this and watching it. Mm-hmm. Like the, it's it, a lot of people said, Oh, it's the lost scanners sequel. Oh, wow. Oh, interesting. And, it, but it's really got, the thing is, and they're also selling them so short. It's, it looks wonderful. Graham Skipper is a friend of ours. Uh, and, uh, in a short film I just did called balloon. Uh, he is wonderful. And I'm, I can't understand how he still can see how the way when he has to do the t- telekinetic face, which sure he popped an eye out. Yeah. Uh, but the sound design is oh, the, brilliant. Yeah. Sound design and the, the score. The music awesome. is a thro- yeah. is a nice like synth throwback '90s score. It's great and full of practical effects. Full of practical effects. What are you guys seeing like from going to these festivals and and what trends are you seeing that make you excited about the horror genre or not excited or? Oh, I got an answer for that. Oh, okay. go for it. <laughs> the, the thing that really just makes me very optimistic is that I'm seeing more horror films that aren't straight derivative genre films. Yes. I had I had a conversation uh, where I, I got to... I always love paraphrasing Kurt Vonnegut when I'm talking about horror movies. But in Breakfast at Champions... Totally all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he talks about literature disappearing up its own asshole. And I feel like... <laughs> I feel like Cabin in the Woods... I think it was Dana who said Cabin in the Woods is the sphincter clamping shut... After after horror disappears up its own ass, basically, we're at the point now where I don't want to see any more horror movies about being a horror movie. Yeah, no more postmodern stuff. Yeah. I'd I'd love to see, and and I've actually been working on my own horror movies that are about uh, applying horror to life and about what happens in our lives and how that. Why? I mean, why would anybody want to watch a horror movie? And how that's sort of a I I do constantly. Mm-hmm. I'm one of the fans, but there's still there's still this ongoing thing as life gets more and more horrifying. You have this weird in the back of your head kind of feeling of like, I did something go wrong in my chemistry that, that turned me into a horror fan. Like why, why would you want to fill your brain with these kinds of images? And the answer is because, well, it's very cathartic and a lot of dark fantasy when you see it on screen is when you talked about taboos and everything, Mm -hmm. That's where you get it out. That's why so many horror fans and, and horror filmmakers are such 
mild-mannered, just very kind, nice people is because they get out all of their dark energy, basically, in their work, and their art. And I'm really, really optimistic about the fact that I'm seeing movies that seem to be personal horror films mm -hmm. and taking things from life rather than taking things from just another movie and really thinking about what situations would be like and what characters would be like. I can't wait to see The Witch. I hear it's just a big mood piece, basically. And I, I've, some people have been disappointed that there's not a lot of narrative drive to it. But I love the idea that somebody said, all right, no, let's really, let's really think about this. What it would have felt like to be in that village and be in that town. And that is one of the, I mean, the personal nature of these films. I mean, we're, I mean, we're really getting like an indie sensibility thrust into the horror genre with a lot of these films. I mean, films like, the, like Babadook and It Follows mm -hmm. are a lot more... Personal. If, it, if you took out the ghost elements or the horror elements out of it, you could still have a story about somebody coming to terms with their sexuality or coming to terms with uh, being their dramas. Yeah, their dramas. And they're, mm -hmm. but they're, but the 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 trend that's disturbing to me though is is this the uh, mood piece feel that even Babadook there's no it, story it, it follows. It's not even that it's not story. It's that it's this dirge like atmosphere. It's this one note. Brrr, everything's gloomy. Everything's dark. Everything's you just don't like bad. low end, <laughs> no end noise on the soundtrack. Well, <laughs> Frank Woodward is decidedly anti low end noise. I'm anti bass. But you're but you're absolutely right in that the innovations we're seeing are not narrative innovations. It's not somebody telling a story that we've never seen before. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's not, well telling us a story that we've never seen before is a tough. Not, yeah. I get that, but um, there's there's still levels. It follows for I mean, there's everybody's talked about it follows with there since Quentin Tarantino came out and gave his criticisms and all about. And I when I saw it, I was I liked it, I respect it, I wasn't overly impressed or knocked yeah. out. We had a little argument about that. We did have an argument about that. <laughs> and, and when I finally see a, a good, good night, Mama, we probably have the same argument. Although good night, Mommy. Although your review of that was very keen. Oh, it, yeah. Your one-line review, is, which I'm paraphrasing, please, which is, 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 is this extremely well-done, well-crafted kind of horror movie I never want to see again. <laughs> yeah, that, that I'm, honestly, that I'm just plain sick of. Yeah. I've seen that movie. Right. This was a handsomely directed, uh, very effectively directed. Like, I would hire that director to direct something. Mm. And impeccably acted. Just great characterizations. The kids were great. And the... And, the lady playing the mommy was great, and it had that very sort of cold, uh, cold German thing. It had a lot. Of, I didn't know how else to put it. Well, I don't. What are you talking about? Uh, yeah, cold Germans. I'm, not, <laughs> that's just, I'm confused. Yeah, yes. but but with all of that, when the story revealed itself, the true nature of itself, I kind of went, oh, all right, you know. And it was just it was just that kind of thing where I'm seeing a lot of movies that I even admire. Where when I finally realize where it's going, I go, oh, all the innovation went into the filmmaking. None of it went into the story. None of it went into the writing. So the, the, well, yeah. the thing that I'm happy about is that it's not just – I mean, obviously, It Follows is – obviously, It Follows is – Chris's printer is ringing because it's, yeah. it's 1998. And it, comes, and it just comes in and it says, you're dead. It's, 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 yeah, yeah. The fax comes well, in. Oh, wait, maybe that's my pager. Wait a second. I thought that phone line was right. dead. <laughs> yeah. The fax comes, it's one of the faxes from the player. It's ringing louder. It's getting angry. I know. It's, I tried to turn asshole. it off and it's like, it literally got louder. I'm like, no. <laughs> it's, like a, it's starting to come at you, Chris. Oh my gosh. Yeah, the weird thing is there's no power in this garage right now. <laughs> 
The printer's in the house. Yes. The printer's in the house. <laughs> the call's coming from inside your pants. <laughs> so what I'm happy about is that even though it follows and all of these movies we're talking about are inspired by horror films and certainly influenced by horror films that came before, right. it's not just, hey, let's make a movie like an 80s horror movie and throw in a bunch of references. Right. No, and, yeah, exactly. Well, I agree. It's, it's, what we're seeing is people also taking the genre seriously enough that they're talking about it after. Look, when you're, if you're yeah. a horror fan, as Stephen King once said back in the day, you will wade through miles of shit just to find that one gem. That's right. All oh, right. And I mean, he was mostly talking about his own work. Mainly. <laughs> so, yes. He, he was very prescient about it when he wrote that. And Dance Macabre, he has that whole... That's the whole, yeah. yeah from Dance Macabre, he has a whole... He talks about it. And so, like, to, if you're a horror fan you're a, and you work in the horror genre, the fact that people are actually talking about these films seriously, like It Follows, like yeah. Babadook. Mm-hmm. I mean, Babadook, obviously, because it was a female director and It Follows because... And it's another one where, like, God, there's nothing wrong with the directing and the acting and nothing, the editing of no. that movie. But at the end of the day, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. Well, because also I think there's there's a bit a few other there's other films uh, uh, that are out there, uh, which they're great on establishing atmosphere uh, and and getting a you see Wormwood, Road of the Dead, Wormwood. I've I've not yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was that Mad Max zombie movie. Yes. thing? Or, yeah, mm-hmm. oh, it's, see, well, it's fun. I, Austria, sure, Aussie. Uh, Mm-hmm. They're all. I think they all have some level of fun to them, but they they some of them will run out of story, and they'll be having these long lingering shots of like snails in the forest, right? Mm-hmm. And ooh, it's creepy and disgusting. And but they, snails, snails, <laughs> no, no, not snails. No. <laughs> um, but I I think that the because horror films are still kind of the first stop stop, uh, stop off. I'm becoming a filmmaker for a lot of people. Still to this day, yeah, they'll because still, you know, yeah. because they could do them cheap, and you can, and basically don't you don't yep. need to have a, a high profile cast to do one. Right, mm-hmm. uh, nobody the genre does you. the selling, not the uh, exactly. not the name talent. And uh, and one of the few genres, I think comedy is the only other one. But one of the few genres where none of the production value and everything matters. If it works on the audience, sure. it will have an right. audience. Yeah. Right, and to this day, that still yeah. is the truth. But as a result, you're getting a lot of people who are still finding their voice and finding their talent. Mm. Uh, so when you find somebody who's really fully flushed out and still coming out with a horror film, it's really something. Just yeah, it's it's so weird that your choice is you can either have a not quite slam dunk but interesting and esoteric and offbeat movie made by a, an inexperienced filmmaker, or you can have assembly line experienced filmmaker who's making something with a studio and it's just the same movie you've seen. It's the same haunted house movie that you've seen. It's the same vampire movie you've seen that was made by a studio for less money than they're used to spending. Mm-hmm. But it's still, you can see where it's mitigated. Right. You can, so it's like you can choose either polish or originality. But I, I do, I mean, I, I saw this week, just at Beyond Fest, I saw Bone Tomahawk, and I saw He Never Died, and they're both quote-unquote cannibal movies, and could not have been more different from each other, and yet were similar in the way that... Oh, they had cannibals in them. They both had cannibals in them. <laughs> but they were both, I was watching them saying... I have not seen this film before. Oh, that's mm-hmm. interesting. That's Bo Tomahawk is the Western with Kurt, Kurt Russell, Russell, which they made for less than $2 million, and Kurt Russell's in it. And I was talking to uh, uh, David DeVale about this. Yeah. When did he become Gary Cooper? He just gets on a horse, and it's like, there's your movie. Well, Kurt Russell <laughs> is fantastic. But then we have that film, and we're going to have Hateful Eight soon. Sure. Same, mm-hmm. same idea. Yeah. And I... 
Hateful Eight's a cannibal movie? Yes. <laughs> that's that's that. the leaked ending. That's the one that uh, Gawker put out. <laughs> they all eat each other. He, he, rewrote, he rewrote the ending where they all eat each other. Yeah. He yeah. Yeah. Spoiler alert. It's, it's a Mexican eat-off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Mexican oh, eat-off. <laughs> now, Bone Tomahawk was almost not a horror movie. It was a straight-up Western Richard Jenkins is playing Walter Brennan. Like, it's just straight up. Well, and he practically steals the whole movie. Uh, Matthew Fox is in there playing a character that uh, I've sh- I'm sure the... From influence. Party of Five? From Party of Five. Of all, <laughs> all things. I never watched Lost, That's so I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I never saw that Lost. Never saw Party yeah, yeah. Five. Party of Five. Um, he was... You know why I mentioned that? Because I'm sure that's the one he wants you to never mention. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, he, and he was there at the talkback, too. Uh, but Matthew Fox plays a character... Like, I... I I can't remember being impressed by Matthew Fox performances before. Like he's one of those actors who's kind of off my radar a little bit. And he was excellent in this film, playing a character clearly inspired or influenced a little bit by Val Kilmer and Tombstone. He's playing the badass dandy and also a character with a lot of moral ambiguity. And he was terrific. And Patrick Wilson was in. He was terrific. He's a sincere. A great cast. It's a great. And David, the movie opens with David Arquette and Sid Haig. Just, oh really? Just hanging out. And, and this is called Bone Tomahawk. Bone Tomahawk. When and does it's, it come to theater? We know. Oh, who knows? No, no I don't know. Yeah. That's, uh-huh. Well, that's the great. Make thing sure about, you look for it. That's the great thing about watching movies at these fest. You know, at, at Fantastic Fest or Beyond Fest or any of these places is that you might see something that no one's going to see for years. And it's great to have that festival audience that's everybody's whooping and clapping yeah. and they're really right. into it. Mm-hmm. But that can also influence how you feel about the film. God, that thing's great. That piece of shit? Well, no, there's this, there's, there's festival. <laughs> you get festival goggles. I mean, yeah. I've, I've, I've seen movies at festivals and went, man, oh my God, because it was everyone was pumped up for it. Yeah. Um, I hope that's not the case with earbuds. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be immune. <laughs> um, all right well let's go oh, and on. he never died was was great also it, right. it stars henry rollins and he's been self-deprecating about his own acting in the past and and uh, deservedly so and he was actually there at the talk back and he said something about at some point he stopped being rock boy showing up in movies and started really caring about acting uh, so regardless of what do you think of henry rollins as an actor from his previous work he's been really good in a couple of movies he's great in wrong turn too mm-hmm. It's a fantastic. Oh, he's great. Oh, yeah, he is. I know. Isn't his last line, fuck you? I'm just happy that you turned it back to wrong turn. <laughs> wow. um, there, it's a nuanced, wonderfully played character that, that Henry pulls off in this movie, He Never Died. And that's, that's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing these movies where some care is being taken to the horror film. It's that's good to hear. Yeah. yeah. That's good to hear. Um, right. So let's uh, we'll move to DVDs. Oh, and uh, speaking geez. of low budget movies, where yes. they're taking care, San Andreas, yeah, with The Rock, oh, wow, The Rock fighting an earthquake. <laughs> it this movie, um, it's a draw, and that gorgeous yeah. girl from Bearing the X, yeah, she's great. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, she was also in True Detective, I believe. Oh yes, yes, yeah. I got in a lot of trouble the other day for talking about the fact that was she, she in a lot of loose fitting clothes or were they tight? They were uh, they were flowing. Yeah, yeah. Were, she's she's most she's the court stenographer. Yeah, she is a really good actress. And I got into trouble the other day with a friend of mine for saying that. Um, I was like, oh, she did this incredibly gratuitous nude scene on True Detective, and now I see her in everything. And I think. Our, our, I, it was Trish. I think Trish thought I was saying that's the only reason she's in everything is because she did this nude scene. 
But what I was actually saying was she's a really good actress and she did something that put her in the mind of every Hollywood producer out there. Sure. They'll always remember that scene in True Detective. And now I see her in everything. She's getting cast. Uh, It was the one where they're having lollipops at the dentist's office. Ah, okay. Not the dentist's office. That's ridiculous. That doesn't make sense. Let's let's write that out. That made sense to me. There you go. Absolutely. (laughs) She's great in San Andreas. She's the rock's daughter. Uh, Well, she's really good in Burying the X. And uh, when I saw the preview for San Andreas, we saw all, I guess, all of Los Angeles collapsing into a sinkhole. And the audience was, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Do it. You know, this movie is, is, if you missed it, I mean, it's exactly what you think it is. It has... I mean, I think it's it kind of makes a wink at the audience a little bit at times, like the beginning of the movie where Rock goes, this is San Andreas or whatever. <laughs> and then there's times where maybe they are taking themselves seriously. But mm. uh, it's 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 ridiculous fun. It's everything you'd expect. It's not insulting like Pan. Right. So <laughs> I would check it out. Is um, it better than 2012? Oh, yeah. 2012 oh, is the pan of... Uh, <laughs> of uh, or, disa- earthquake dis- disaster, disaster movies. movies yes. Yes. Um, Speaking of Kurt Russell, we used to say, and my, and, uh, my brothers and I used to say, but is it better than Soldier? <laughs> <laughs> that used to be the high water mark. <laughs> oh, my God, this movie's so good. Yeah, but it's better than Soldier. Soldier. <laughs> Soldier's pretty amazing. Soldier's pretty amazing. Pretty, uh, <laughs> I, I see the to, size I... of that tank? <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, what else? Tomorrowland? Uh, Tomorrowland. Oh. Oh. This, I'll tell you, this <laughs> This was the kind of movie that structurally it was an absolute mess, Uh, but it was one of those movies, too, that um, I can't explain it, but it had a lot of charm, and I liked it more than I knew um, technically I should have. Like, I should not have liked this movie at all, but I thought George Clooney was amazingly charming. I thought it had some great ideas, like big science fiction-y ideas, and I loved the um, production design of like the 50s science fiction in the World's Fair and all that stuff. I thought it had a lot of great elements. They just didn't come together yeah. uh, at all. No, I mean, so, I mean and you're, you're, while you're right about every single one of the things you said, the thing that killed the movie for me was just how much of a mess it was. Because here we are yet again about trying, uh, they're trying to have us relive and experience that, the the joy of seeing, looking to the future and wanting to have progress and and being pro-science again, like mm-hmm. really wanting to strive mm-hmm. to reach for the stars. And it all becomes uh, about the chosen one again because apparently only this girl can help us <laughs> to save the future. And I'm like, slap my forehead and, I'm, yeah. I, and I want to mm-hmm. strangle Brad Bird. But I, from what I understand, Brad Bird wants to strangle himself for this film. He's not very happy with what, what came out. I, oh, can't, what I, can't, I can't imagine that this was, that was his vision. That I don't wrote. think it was his vision at yeah. all. Um, he is one of the few directors that uh, that makes big movies has been touted as a visionary director, and they they kind of they love throwing that around, talking about how oh this is a guy who and he was a guy who made the transition from animation to live action right too. right well I mean with yeah uh, the Mission Impossible four. Right. Yes. Th- yes. Mission Impossible. Four. Ghost, Ghost Protocol. Protocol. Ghost yes. Protocol. <laughs> I mean, which was really well, well done. But yeah, Tomorrowland. Yeah, was, that's vision. Yeah, was, <laughs> yeah. Well, there was some. There was yeah. some vision. But Tomorrowland was just. Oh, it was just so disappointing. Yeah. And I hate the, the 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 fact. I mean, this is not really a spoiler. So don't worry, worry, everybody. But the end, the last like ten minutes, 
you're watching that happen and unfold, and you're like, why wasn't the film about this? Yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. This would have been more the, exciting. Like this would have been more of like what Tomorrowland and the World's Fair were supposed to be. There were so many great ideas, yeah. and it was just not put together right. properly. And so I think it got like, you know, studio meddling, like these weird subplots shoehorned in. I'm like, well, no, you don't need any of any of this. Meanwhile, at Disneyland, you still have to pay a premium for the goddamn. <laughs> I, I thought when we bought the tickets to go see it at the El Capitan, we thought the pin was included. Pin? Oh, we got a pin, but it was an El Capitan pin. They bait and switched us. Like uh, I said, no, I wanted a Tomorrowland pin. So now, can you even buy them at Disneyland? They do, but they don't look as good as the ones in the movie. They're they're all, they're, they're the uh, Disney pin trader version of the, pin, of the Tomorrowland pin. So How they dare look they? really crappy compared to what they had on the film. And there's no reason. Because it's really difficult to make a pin. It's really difficult. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's you need really, to go into the difficult. future, yeah. Chris, to get alien uh, technology. Yeah, no. There's one girl who can make a pin for so us. So irritating. <laughs> I actually, and I did read, uh, I think it was uh, Demon Faraci at, at Birth Movies Death said, uh, he said something about how the overall message of the movie was actually a little, it was personally offensive to him because it turns out, even with all this innovation and everything, at the end of the day, it was just sort of like, hey, things were better before. Like, sort of a... Right. A, that was a weird takeaway. I didn't, I didn't well, they get all, that but at all. they also were jumping all over for yeah. cynicism to the point where it's like, okay, I'm not entirely sure, but from from this... If I'm, you know, back when we had hope. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that kind of idea. Well, that, yeah. and that Things we, were better back when we had yeah. hope. You know, the space race and bullshit. Yeah, the yeah. space race, when everything right. was wanted to be like, you know, utopia and nobody, no outsiders, right. no, no outsiders. I shouldn't, I shouldn't paraphrase things that I can barely remember. Well, but that, but that's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of what that, if they're trying to go back to... Because the, that was age. one of like five or six major plot points that they didn't know which uh, one to follow. Right, but, exactly. So, but I'm pretty uh, sure they're anti-Orwell, Bradbury, and uh, uh, Aldous Huxley. <laughs> <laughs> they, were, they had decided three of those, those three books and mm-hmm. wanted to get rid of them. Oh, and have you read Dianetics? Yeah. <laughs> so the next movie is Dope. Now you saw this, Graham. I cannot recommend this movie enough. Yep. I thought it was yep. great. Um, it it uh, did okay in the theaters, which is, it, which is disappointing, but I, I, I say... Get behind this movie, big it's, Sundance movie, right? Well, it yeah, sold yeah. like was one of the big sellers right mm-hmm. off the right out the gate, yeah. And it was, uh, it's innovative, it's it's fun with with really nice social commentary in it, and it's uh, if you like '90s hip hop, it's it's mm-hmm. I mean, it's really it's really cool. It it really like um, takes like a house party and like <laughs> you know like and sort of boys in the hood mm-hmm. uh-huh. and sort of has this like fun and really really scathing social commentary that is really it's that is not an easy thing to to join together it's it's yeah. that's it's hard movies that try to do that can fail miserably because they can yeah. they can go all over the place so they cannot know the what they're trying to do this movie does that it really it really gets it and these are really good young actors in it too so i cannot recommend dope enough especially since it do well in the theaters man i would i would get no. this yeah I, I endorse it as well yeah cool Double endorsement of dope. All oh, right, I love I love that uh, it seems like people who make movies about you know people who make movies about uh, serious subjects and somber subjects that affect people forget that throughout life you people do have senses of humor. They don't lose them as soon as tragedy strikes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. Funny yeah. shit happens. Yeah, I know exactly. The mo- the hardest I ever laughed was at a funeral for a friend of mine. Absolutely, you know. Yeah. <laughs> We were all it's like, cathartic. yay, he's dead. No, no, that's not what we said. Yeah. 
right, what else we got? Uh, so Spotlight, uh, Lord Cred has finally written another review, uh, Sweet Lorraine review. You can check that out. Um, and also Scrugulous, uh, one of our posters on the message board, ranks the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. So Ooh. you can see if you agree with him on the, uh, the all the wow. Marvel movies. It's just like um, inviting yeah. the world. Every year that I list. Hope, I hope you have enough server space. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Scrugulous, for mm-hmm. putting your life on the line (laughs) (laughs) and premiering this week crimson peak now i am excited about this movie graham not so much but i again guillermo del toro i am trusting him i'm cautiously optimistic because i love guillermo i think he has Mm -hmm. a world-class mind but pacific rim was extremely disappointing and i've always wanted his films to be that much better because i know he's capable of it and some, for some reason, they there's always something a little off for me with his films. You have a really specific criticism of Pacific Rim that I, I always like to hear I your voice. I have many specific. But there was one in particular that I always always think about. That, uh, Too many Australian accents. Yeah. He just, <laughs> my bad American accent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my bad. <laughs> right. uh, I mean, well, it, was, it was the fact that the, no one the, gets the, out of the cool world. Oh, well, I mean, yeah. What it is is, I mean, you, 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 we know Guillermo is a big monster fan. <laughs> right. And for a film that's all... I mean, this is a film that never Pacific Rim never gave you the uh, money shot, never gave you this gl- glamour shot of, of the, the monster. monsters. Yeah, well, because and, everything was in rain and a storm. Like exactly. I want to, I want to see the sequel. I really think, like I, I'm still, it, it was, it was enough that I still want to see like what happens next. I'd like to right. see another movie, I, and, in I'll, the and I'll be there. I, look, yeah. I own Pacific Rim. I own mm-hmm. all of Guillermo's films because I do love him as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Crimson Peak, I'm a little nervous about because. There's he he he's big about this eye protein thing, but I'm looking at uh, if you take the trailer for Jan de Bon's haunting and play it, uh, what, <laughs> and then you punch see, yourself in the face, you'll be like very, watching that movie. There's a lot of very similar mm-hmm. similarities to some of the ornate uh, stuff that's going on in Crimson Peak. Uh, I, I you I'm know nervous. what? If Guillermo Tor- de Toro was dead, he would just roll over in his grave that you compared him to Jan de Bon. <laughs> I, he would. He's got. He's been in two of my documentaries, and he's got to come over and punch me in the nuts. Listen, I'm gonna get such a sack punch from this one. You know, I have respect for Jan de Bont. The guy did get mauled on his first film by a lion and kept making movies. So that is true. Just right. saying. You Mad made props. Mad props. He was scalped by a lion. All right. This yeah. happened in speed. Yes it, did. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it did. He's or, by Keanu Reeves. Or, or Twister. Was he's, it? Which he's, one? Uh, Keanu Reeves mauled him. You didn't yeah. know that? Yeah, There's exactly. a bomb on the bus and then no, it went but, his head. Uh, but it, do you guys remember that Roger Ebert gave a thumbs up to The Haunting, Yonda Bont's The Haunting, because the house was so pretty? I don't remember that. And oh, no look one, up that review, And no one folks. really should. Yeah. That's just, I, 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 Let's see how many reviews talk about how pretty the house is on Christmas. The Haunting is Done. one of the worst movies ever made. No, it I, really is. I will uh, say that I have there's a I have a little bit of an inside track here because uh, the people who own the Nerdist are legendary. So, but I will tell you that all you people out there who think the movie looks too digital, based on what you're seeing in the in the previews, there's actually a lot of practical stuff in there. Uh, Guillermo del Toro does a lot of practical, yes, so I'm, I'm not worried about that. Yeah. Next movie is uh, Goosebumps. Was Jack Black's career over already? Uh, <laughs> what do you mean already? Uh, he hasn't, uh, you know, don't you remember uh, Gulliver's Travels? Oh, uh, no. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I don't know what's going on with... Um, with Jack Black. However, this is the kind of movie, though, that I think he'll do very well in. Probably. And the reason is, is because he's got that, uh, kids love kind of like his character, that lovable um, uh, kind of nebbishy, doofusy guy that uh, then all of a sudden he like that offers to suck the guy's dick, you know, if he'll just untie him. You know, <laughs> 
That whole God, kids love that scene in Tropic Thunder. I don't remember that. That's what. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> and those other. And was that in? That was in Gulliver's Travels. Yeah. That's definitely in Gulliver's Travels. The opening scene. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, little pushings, but, come on. But I. I <laughs> Jason Siegel's full frontal nude scene yeah. in Gulliver's Travels. <laughs> So I think this one, I, I think he'll do very well in this because this is a giant, huge kids franchise, Goosebumps. And my, my kids are right at the uh, the age where they like scary stuff, but not they're still too young for horror movies. Right. Yeah. So I will definitely be going to see this movie this weekend. And I really think Jack Black, as far as like marketing goes, he was a good choice for this yeah. for this film. I think it's going to do very well. I think if you don't have children, you won't be seeing it. Um, but I think it. I think it'll do well. I, it'll I, do better than Pan. You know, let's put it that there's, way. There's, there's three <laughs> movies coming out this week: Crimson Peak, Goosebumps, and then of course Bridge of Spies. And I could give two shits about Crimson Peak or Goosebumps <laughs> because I want to watch Tom Hanks uh, on a go, bridge, on a bridge fighting Ruskies in a Spielberg yeah. movie. In a Spielberg movie, mm-hmm. I'm in. That's all I care about this weekend. I don't care. Well, about this, is, the... this is one of the few times where the movie releases are great counter program. They do great. great this is like now, if you're going to the movies this weekend, there's something for you to see. Yes, that is true. God, I just realized. I'm like, I'm looking at. It, I can just imagine the box office results, like right now. Yeah, I can see what made the most money. <laughs> but also, do do kids ever do that thing anymore? Where they, you know, like I always wonder if Pitch Perfect two made so much money because kids were buying tickets to Pitch Perfect two and then sneaking to Fury Road. Like I, I always wonder. That, that is such a great. Don't I, know. I, that's a good to, question. I'd love to know the date on that because you know that that's that's what yeah. I did. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. That's what we all did. You, went, now, you bought yeah. a ticket to Pitch Perfect not, Two. Yeah, not, not to not to, to put there. down Pitch Perfect Two and not to put down that whole group. And it was awesome that like during that weekend there were two female driven movies sure. out there. Right. But there is that weird thing of like how many kids and are going to buy. And that happens at what, 13, 14 ish around yeah, that's there? When I, that's yeah. when I, I, I mean, when you're I starting to go that. movies without your parents. So they buy mm-hmm. tickets to Goosebumps and go into Crimson Peak. Yeah, and they tell you, tell, I remember doing that. Tell me, oh, we're going to go see the Muppet mm-hmm. movie. And then I'd go see whatever, Amityville Horror or something like that. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, that's it. I, I mean, as I'm making fun of Jack Black, but I'll see Goosebumps. Gateway Horror, Gateway Monsters. Yeah, well, yeah. the monsters are pretty scary for the trailer. I mean, if you were a kid, I'd be. And it's kind of like a, uh, uh, like, like it sums up like his career as far as like writing like what hundreds of these Goosebumps books. There's right. so many yeah. in existence right now, and uh, just the fact that you know this is kind of what's going on in his head, and but, then they have to go catch all of them. It, it, it's it's kind of like a kid's Ghostbusters. And right. Jack Black is playing R.L. Stein yes. in the film, mm-hmm. so that's. I mean, I, I don't know what R.L. Stein looks like. That could be a Michael Fassbender job yeah. situation. <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> sure. idea. If we'll have the right accent. <laughs> but I, I will definitely be, you know, I'd actually like to see all three of these movies. Really? You know, this weekend. Yeah, yeah I'm interested I'm in all three of them. I cut off your Bridge of Spies thing, but is it just Tom Hanks? Uh, is it just Tom Hanks and Spielberg? Is that the draw? Honestly, honestly, I have to, I have to admit that that has a lot to do with it. I'm yeah. just like, I, I'm, I'm a sucker for a Tom Hanks movie. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the whole... Um, uh, Gary Powers' story mm. is intriguing, has always been intriguing to me. Like, I remember the TV series uh, special that uh, Lee Majors played Gary Powers in. That's because it was wow. a $6 million man, so I would watch mm-hmm. the $6 million man oh, in anything. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> That's the sound of you watching the show. Right. Yeah, yeah it's me turning the knob <laughs> on the old television. <laughs> so that is intriguing to me, and the whole... 
I am intrigued by any behind the scenes during the Cold War era. Sure. Because yeah. all of the we almost went to war that we we didn't know about that could have happened, you know, a thousand times. It's like um I'm sure 20 years from now we're going to learn about all of the terrorist attacks that almost happened that didn't. Um <laughs> so uh, you know, this to me is intriguing and you know, this is this is Tom Hanks's wheelhouse for me. Yeah. So and and, as long, and when Spielberg is not allowed to use kids <laughs> then I'm excited for it. When, he ha- when it's kids, then it's going to be something. I, I, I think Spielberg. It's going to be a lot of camera dollying. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of camera dollying. He'll, I think he'll do, this is his wheelhouse. Yeah. Spielberg's as well, I think. I mean. When he did Munich. Well. Munich, which I love. I love which, again, that's a, this, is, this is why. Really? I'm, you guys love Munich? I yeah. love Munich. Yeah, except for the Gatorade shot. I love yeah. <laughs> I I love Munich uh, in theory. Like I love everything about it on paper. I just I, I don't know. Munich doesn't doesn't do it for me. Well, I love the idea of Jewish super spies going out and taking revenge. Like I love I love any sort of like genre movie that's. But in they're the- not super spies. They're flawed men. Well, of course. And I guess I guess that's what it is. You know, I know Spielberg has been making. So you movies. wanted super spies. Yeah, I wanted you know you know uh, you wanted the Rocketeer. Yeah, Mossad activate. Do they have like a secret lair? Yeah. They get in their Mossad suits and they, yeah. <laughs> sl- they break the monster. Yeah. <laughs> they slide down a pole. Yeah, I mean for God's sake, James I, Bond is on their team. You know. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but uh, but I also it's I mean we say it's in his wheel. I know Spielberg has been making movies in the last ten years. I just don't know if I've seen any of them. And I know that Tom Hanks is been making movies in the last five, six years, and I, I don't know if I've seen any of them either. He's maybe my favorite actor who I haven't seen a movie of his in a very long time. You didn't see Cloud Atlas? Oh, no. It, it, well, no. I was trying to think of a funny Cloud Atlas thing to say. But all, all I know to say is, uh, no, it's true, true. I did not see Cloud Atlas. <laughs> but, but the reason I didn't see Cloud Atlas is because I didn't know I was supposed to. There's, some, there's this weird aspect to which... Uh, if everybody loves a movie or everybody says, oh, yeah, you got to go see that, I'll go see it and find out that it's okay. And it's, I don't know. Because it gets overhyped to you. Because it gets overhyped to me. And then when movies get sort of mixed reviews and some people love them, some people hate it, and it's just sort of this weird thing, I tend to eventually see that movie. Like, oh, yeah, Cloud Atlas is streaming on Netflix. Now I'll watch it. Mm -hmm. And then I'll have the opinion. But there's so many movies to see if I'm not drawn to the theater for a specific reason, I they tend to just sort of go by the wayside. So I'm catching up on movies. Like, I just watched The Descendants, you know, a few weeks ago. Oh, yeah. Wow. Because it's like, I, I wanted to see it, and I just got around to it. I finally was in a situation where I could watch it. And with Tom Hanks and Spielberg and Spies and all this stuff, I know they've worked in the genre before, but it's like, was Catch Me If You Can really that good? I can't even remember. It yeah, was it was just, pretty good. It was pretty yeah. good. It, it, it was, but, it was and, good and by good, you mean it, it wasn't terrible. No, no, no. no it was an enjoy, enjoyable film. I don't know. I, 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 no, I know I watched that You know, movie. somebody must have overhyped it to you. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Or you're um, still mad about AI. Yeah. I'm mad about AI. Fair enough. <laughs> I can always, I'll always accept that defense. Uh, <laughs> the <right>. AI defense. <laughs> that's, uh, that's that, our, that is our show. That's our over oh stuff show. Oh my God. We should have Should we cut this in. into two shows? God, Frank, you just talk two. too much. <laughs> <laughs> always oh, going off on oh, tangents. Oh, 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 let me tell you about a story about how blood works became blood. <laughs> <laughs> we barely talked about what I'm working on. We talked about Wrong Turn 6 for four hours. <laughs> 
<laughs> Mention again how much nudity is in it, Frank. <laughs> ah, so Maybe nudity. someone will buy it. <laughs> I'm working on stuff too, damn it. Directing so, music uh, videos. So, Frank, what do you got I'm coming up? A few- <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, nothing, oh. Jack. <laughs> Just the. It's now. Now it's hot in this garage. Oh, sweet Jesus! I got nothing. Well, you got I, nothing. Come on! Come on! No, no. I, we're, we're both very busy. What are you working on, Jack? Well, what are you working? On? I'm in the middle. I'm in that weird nebulous period where, like, I'm I'm in pre-production on something that hasn't been announced yet, and I'm uh-huh. editing something that's going to go to visual effects. And but you can talk about the bunch of editing. Yeah. Can't you? Well, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, this is great. I wasn't going to take any more editing jobs because I've been I've been directing and producing so much, and and really that's what I really want to be doing is directing but this incredible project came along through some friends of ours uh it's called yamasong march of the hollows it's an independently produced puppet film very much with in these, the dark crystal vein very much oh, wow with these yeah. incredibly ornate beautiful rod puppets and it's the voice cast is incredible it's nathan fillion abigail breslin frida pinto peter weller bruce oh, davison wow. malcolm mcdowell oh, wow. george takei george takei whoopi goldberg Ed Asner, yeah, and there, it's this incredible world that that uh, Sam, the the director, has created. Just this this incredibly new, imaginative world. Uh, with and that trailer's all, online, you can see the trailers trailer. on right. Go go What's look the up name that of trailer. It's called Yama Song, and this is Yama Song. Y a m a song song. It's all one word. Yamasong. And uh, if you want to get Vandy plates of it or anything. Okay. And uh, Yamasong, March of the Hollows. Yes, March the, of the Hollows. The Hollows are a race. And then there are these Terrapin race, the, yeah. the Ovis and stuff. So I'm, I'm the editor on the film. And it's just one of those incredible things where it's such a – this is my first effects-heavy film that I've been, I've been cutting or, or been involved with. But it's also – done with these incredible puppets. So you have these incredible puppet actors. So you're putting these scenes together and then in the background is somebody you know wrapped in green, you know, with like their head poking out. You just have to sort of ignore it when you're doing the cut and everything. So it's this weird movie where it's it's practical and also visual at the same mm-hmm. time and, and it's just uh, it's just it's just well, great. If you're a dark cool. crystal or labyrinth yeah, fan, I mean, right. you can definitely see the heads and roots. Yes. Oh, very right. cool. And it's it's a movie that's uh, sweet while also being. I mean, they go to war at one point. It's definitely like mm-hmm. a, it's it's a big adventure movie, like in its old fashioned adventure movie kind of way. And uh, and then I'm in the middle of doing more Bloodworks episodes. Nice, oh, great. Yeah, I'm in. Uh, there's a piece with me and Scotty and in the current issue of Famous Monsters. If you uh, if you get oh, Famous cool. Monsters Filmland. That talks about what we did before and what so, we're doing next. Yamasong right? and Ron Turned Six. That's yes. Wow. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. And <laughs> watch and watch some Bloodworks, man. Watch some Bloodworks. Nice. Go back. They're Scotty all online. Bloodworks. Right? Yes. And then, and then Jack and I both do uh, your podcast. We do, uh, we do our own podcast. What's oh, the, we don't need journey. to talk about. No, I'm just kidding. We, we, we have to. We're gonna record yeah. one tonight. Uh, Isn't Dan, that we, we're gonna record two podcasts one in one day? day. Oh my god! Mm-hmm. If the well, next the if the next episode of Damn Dirty Geek sucks, it's because Frank and I were just exhausted. You shot the lot on the show. <laughs> Damn Dirty Geeks is the podcast. is on iTunes and the yep. usual places. Nice. You can go find it. The uh, brainchild of Frank Dietz, and, uh, yep. and he's uh, our ringleader. He's our ringleader indeed. And then, um, you know, watch Balloon. Balloon is a short film of mine. You can find it on YouTube and Vimeo nice. mm-hmm. uh, with Gramp Skipper. And uh, I think I can announce now that uh, 
the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. I've now joined uh, the uh, guys running it. So I'm nice. Oh, fantastic. fantastic. Mm-hmm. So we'll uh, look for us in uh, March of next year. Where can people yeah. follow you online to get all these updates and stuff? I tweet at that Jack Bennett. And I tweet at, at FHW. Okay. Yeah. It's not fam- f- uh, former hockey wife. <laughs> Which I've gotten emails for former hockey wife. And keep- we have uh, only two copies left of Men in Suits, and then we're going to be carrying it uh, digitally, too. You will indeed. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Well, uh, that's our episode. I will be headlining the improv at uh, Harrah's in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada this week, October 13th through the 18th. Uh, and then we are going to be in uh, New York City screening the movie at uh, Squarespace. Yes, but that is – it's not open to the public. Not open to public. We're going to do something cool that you guys can't come yeah, to. Yeah, but we so, are going to be recording some cool podcasts up there. We're going to yeah, be recording Keith and the Girl. The yeah. <laughs> when does this come out, by the way? This will uh, this be up today. today. Oh, uh, then come see me at Rock and Shock this weekend in Worcester, Massachusetts. Nice. All right. Be there talking to people like Doug Bradley and Tobin Bell and horror icons. Go, go. Uh, we got a lot of horror fans that listen to the show, so check that out, you guys. And then, of course, uh, I will be um, in uh, Tokyo, which is the capital of East Korea, um, <laughs> uh, in uh, November first at the uh, Heaven's Heaven's Bar, I believe. Um, it's on my Facebook page, so. We're screening um, a preview cut of uh, Earbuds, November 1st, Sunday, November 1st at 3 o'clock, and then I'm doing stand-up comedy later. So to all the fans in uh, Japan, I'll be out there. Um, and then, uh, yeah, other cool stuff happening. So A lot of stuff. We're still working on Earbuds. We've got uh, some more uh, shows coming up. It's, it's going to be an interesting uh, fall slash winter. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. Well, that is our episode 291. Thank our guests Frank Woodward and Jack Bennett. Um, Thank you guys. <laughs> Supersized episode. I've never had the, the morning radio announcement. Jack Bennett. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. Jackie B in the mornings and Frankie Wood knocking it down. It's, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> Doing the crazy horror stuff. Check them out online, guys. It's going to be blood, guts, and titties all weekend long. All right. Wee, the ratings wee, for this, this episode, the star ratings just went down. Episode. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Episode 291, put it in the books. My name is Graham Elwood. And I'm Chris Mancini. And as always, remember, Han Han shot shot first. first.